And remember that we are not descended from fearful men. Not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Five, four, three. The Kellen and Alex Show. Zero. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. The, the Kellen and Alex Show. Boys, welcome. Kellen's not here. You are all the guests. So we have Clem. Welcome to the podcast. Welcome back to the podcast. Thanks, guys. Athanasius. Thank welcome. Yeah, Otherwise known as Nash. Yes. Which is, by the way, one of the coolest nicknames ever. Oh, thank Just gotta you. say. Thank you. Yeah. Like, thinking about an Athanasius nickname would be pretty hard, but... And Alex, welcome back to the podcast. I am back to talk more about heresy. It's great. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Okay, so we lost spectacularly. Oh, it was uh, brutal. It was brutal. So we I, had the debate last week, and uh, yeah, it was, it was fun. It was good, but we got annihilated. <laughs> it, was, it was horrendous. And as I've said multiple times, I think that based on the number of times we had people come up and argue that hell did exist and that we should believe in it, I don't think the un- there was a lot of understanding in that debate. <laughs> Which I suppose is our fault, but like, it was just one of those things where the the number of times that I'd go, I agreed with every single thing in that in that uh, <laughs> in that speech, and they think that it's it's proof against our argument. Made me very frustrated. But I should preface just before that, yeah, Veritas debate. We did it on dare we hope that all men will be saved. We dare. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, Alex and I argued we, we should dare, and uh, Clemenesh argued we should not dare. And to be fair, going in, we got the vote at the beginning and it was very, very one-sided. So I don't think you guys need to put yourselves down. There were exactly two people who voted for our side. And it was, <laughs> right. the, and it was two of them were on this podcast. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, see, I think, I think it depends on what you mean by lost, right? Because if by lost, you mean you convinced fewer people. I actually think, I mean, wasn't the vote more in favor of you guys by the end of the night? That is correct. But I think so, most of the people who voted for us actually came in after the first vote. Oh, really? Oh, also, yes. one yeah. of the presenters on our side abstained, which I feel like is just an admission of defeat right there. <laughs> that- yeah. So Alex was abstaining and then he, I, I sit down after I vote. He's like, man, I'm sorry, whatever. I just couldn't. And I was like, don't worry. Christ died alone. <laughs> <laughs> you said that and then I stood up to abstain and, and John, John Selly's like, Jesus spits out the lukewarm. And I was like, shut oh, up, John. Ouch. Wow. No, but it was uh, harsh. It was the intellectual, you know, you, you had to go with your conscience on it. You know, who gave the best arguments? And uh, you decided to abstain on that. I really did. <laughs> and we don't hold that against you. Well, the saddest thing is like, I don't. the more. The, <laughs> yeah, you guys don't. The saddest thing is like the next day, the more I thought about it, the more I went. No, I really should have just voted for my side. Like <laughs> the more I thought, like I was like, I'm really That's bummed true. about this because if I'd have thought about it for like maybe an, if I'd had a, a little bit longer to think about it, I would have realized that no, I, I still think that my side, at the very least, like didn't completely lose. But like, yeah, I don't okay, know. I want this topic first. Is our side heresy? So this got brought up a yeah, few Clem. times <laughs> by uh, by Mister Harold, also by John Mark. John Mark mm-hmm. gave a speech and said, "Okay, if we have, if we don't affirm this motion that we can dare to hope all the that all be saved, then it's a, her, a heretical position." Do you guys think that's yeah? Is that what he's? Is that what he's? He, did he yeah, use he that? Yeah, he, he definitely said heresy. And one thing that I found very interesting about his speech is that he said at the very beginning, he said the church has not definitively taught on definitively taught on this issue, and then in the next breath he says, "But if they're wrong, they're heretics." And I, I believe he used the word formal heretic. I mean, I, I'd have to ask him, but I, I'm pretty sure he said formal heretic. But hmm. that's clearly not the case. I mean, just in what he said, if the church hasn't definitively taught on it, right. how could you possibly be formal heretic? So at worst, <laughs> I mean, 
unless I'm, I mean, Clem could probably correct me on this, but the way I understand how heresy works, so if the church doesn't have a definitive teaching on the subject, then a position that you hold could only be heresy if it contradicts a different church teaching that they've definitively taught. And I don't think yours contradicts any church teaching. So, I mean, my two cents is that it's not heretical, and it it couldn't be unless you were to contradict some other aspect of church teaching. It's also possible he meant material heretic and just like <laughs> got the words wrong. Well, even but even material <laughs> heretic, it would still have to be, yeah, it would still have to be heretical in some other sense because right. I don't the church hasn't taught on whether or not you can hope all men are in it, uh, are saved. So, right, unless I don't know, Clem, am I am I saying heresy now? <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, I kind of go back and forth on that. I, I tend, I think there's an argument to say that it is a material heresy. Um, I mentioned in the debate the passage from the Fourth Lateran Council that seems to suggest that there are people in hell right now. Uh, so Tim Staples has an article on that at Catholic Answers where he argues for that. Uh, and I think you could say, um, yeah, that would probably be, and I, I think is yeah. If you took the statements from Trent, although that's technically not doctrinal, it's in the Catechism, which is it's a fairly authoritative Catechism, but it, it's not quite the level of doctrine. So yeah, I, I would probably say I would probably say it's ambiguous, um, but I think you could you could probably get away with saying it's not heresy. I actually sort of think it's an issue that maybe the Church will have to come out and clarify, maybe within our lifetimes, because it's becoming more of an issue. Does Fourth Lateran say something about Judas or something about like souls are definitely in hell? Is it Fourth Lateran talks about the the souls of the reprobate being in hell? Uh, so it's, it's a different point from the Judas one, yeah. Because hmm. Doctor Plato brought up the Judas point, of which it was very, uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I I couldn't respond to it in three minutes, and I just chose not to. But it was pretty much the nail in the coffin for our side for people who are sympathetic to us because they were like, okay, if Judas. If it seems to be that Judas is in hell and we seem to have tons of evidence for it, then we can't dare to hope all are saved. Sure. Right. 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 Yeah. And like in, in a lot of ways, like that's the biggest weakness of the argument, right? Is like you have to argue that the way we've been interpreting church doctrine and scripture and private revelation have like we've been interpreting it wrong for 2000 years. Yeah. Like we've just been mistaken. And that's really, really hard to swallow. Mm. Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah. That's, I hadn't thought of it that way. That is a good point. What do you guys have any response on the Judas question? Because that one does seem to me pretty insurmountable. I could have made. I, okay, my response would have been uh, so that that's saying it would have been better if he had not been born. We actually looked it up in Greek too, and it's like it's as strong. It's stronger in the Greek even than it is in the translation. So <laughs> it's like I was like looking for an out when I was looking in the Greek. I was like, there is no out here. But, you know, I, I would, if I had to make a response defending Derry Hope, you could say it's in the tradition of a Matthean hyperbole. So notice in Matthew, you have a lot of like rabbinic type hyperbole statements. So mm. you have like the unpardonable sin, mm. cut off your right hand, like things that are very rabbinic that are meant to be taken as an exaggeration. And so better not to have been born would have fallen under that same type of unpardonable sin, that type of tradition where, I mean, because I, I can't imagine a scenario where you would say that and it have like logical coherent sense and people you know, better not to have been born. It's like, okay, well, is that a statement of fact that he's definitely going to hell? Or is that a statement of, okay, out of all the bad things you could possibly do, 
betraying the God man is definitely the the worst. Yeah. Right. So it'd be better for you not to be born than to commit the worst possible act. That would have been how I would. Now, yeah. that still isn't that like proof yeah. <laughs> or like definitive <laughs> evidence that he's not in hell. Right. Right. Um, and, the, the, and then also you could say, okay, well, he did have the occasion of repenting and coming and throwing the money back in the temple, which obviously, you know, you could argue is attrition, not contrition. But yeah, the hanging seems to be like a bit of a downer. But even then, now, if you go, if you say, okay, well, I admit everything before that, but the hanging is definitive, then what are you saying about suicide? People who commit suicide, are you sure. saying all of them are damned, of which the church, and I think in her mercy, is not. You know, saying it is a mortal sin is a terrible thing, but we don't know the the conditions of the person who commits suicide and all that type of stuff. So, anyways, right, in each of those, it's a it's an occasion where it's still possible that he could have had a moment a moment of conversion. And I don't think it's so cut and dry that he's definitely damned when you say better not to have been born. Mm. You may be able to interpret it a different way. And if you if you may be able to interpret it a different way, dare we hope can still be. Possible, yeah. Although I maybe think, not plausible, like you were saying. But it's not just a matter of oh, he committed suicide. So yeah. we think. I mean, it's it's all the things combined that make it a really powerful case. But just on a side note, I one of my personal pet peeves is when people will say, "Well, the translation says this, but if you look in the Greek, blah blah blah." <laughs> and the reason the reason why I don't like that is because you sort of you're assuming. Okay, well, if we go back to the Greek, here is a more accurate translation, as if the people that are translating the Bible aren't experts in the language that they're translating from to the language they're translating to. Now, I'm not sure if that's always the case, but why? I read some Protestant translations. No, I mean, like sure. The I'm, Living I'm, Word or whatever. Sure, I don't know fine. All the but random ones. Right, right. But, and obviously, I think, yeah. I mean, I know you've studied Greek and stuff, so you, you, you know your stuff, but I have heard certain people, <laughs> certain people will say things like that, and I'll think, I, I almost know with certitude that you have no idea what you're talking about it's, yeah <laughs> and you're totally right like, yeah. when you, do, you plug the, the greek text, words like, into google translate <laughs> it's almost like, like when <laughs> scientists are like well i'm a scientist it's like right, right. i know greek therefore i know the perfect right. translation of this it's like well other people translated it this way and that way so well and right, it's right. it's also in like so many ways like just like a, an appeal to your own authority because like sure. the, the, <laughs> yeah. the odds or are you the, to translate it yeah, yeah. the <laughs> odd well the odds that the person you're talking to has also read it in greek and has also taken the time to try to interpret it against your inter- your like interpretation is so slim that you just say well in the in the in the ancient greek like it actually it actually says that jesus was resurrected on the fourth day everybody would be like oh <laughs> yeah, I, no, I, yeah. I can't tell you you're wrong <laughs> like I mean, it's yeah. one thing when you're in dr han's uh, word of god class and he says well if you look at the greek okay well i i have some faith that dr han is gonna be decently accurate when he says something like that but when it's some random guy off the street saying when you look at the greek it's just and that, yeah, you know that random guy on the street who just speaks Greek. You know, that one. Right? <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah, you don't speak Greek. I almost felt the same way when in the debate, the speaker got up and said, well, if you look at the, the, Portuguese. the Portuguese of the Fatima translation. That was that was funny. And oh, that I mean, was I thought brutal. I didn't think it was a terrible point. I really didn't. But I, I sort of felt the same way where I just thought, OK, well, how I mean, no offense to that guy, but how do I know that you are a Portuguese expert? How do I know that? So I looked it up during, like right after oh, he really? said that, uh-huh. I was like, oh no. So I opened <laughs> up the computer and I, Googled, and I Googled it and I don't know Portuguese, but I know a little bit of Spanish. I took Spanish for a few years and I was like, okay, I do see where it says little ones. And I'm like, oh no. But I mean, the church translated it in English, all souls. 
So it's like, okay, and we've all been praying all souls. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's like, well, who got it right? The church who translated mm-hmm. it or the original Portuguese? That would have been like, a, I don't know. That's yeah. where that's where it becomes right. A it also exactly. it also like wouldn't be that hard to say like lead all souls from purgatory or something like that. Like that wouldn't be that complicated of a translation to do instead, mm-hmm. and that's not what they chose to do. Yeah. But, now, to be fair, we did for how many decades have an absolutely awful translation of the Novus Ordo that was just right. That's really true. unfortunate. So also with not, you, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's not Yikes. the case that it's not the case that merely just because the church translates it in one way means it's right. But at the same time, great point. Yeah, I would. <laughs> I would have. Okay. Well, that's more than a bad translation. That's an agenda, oftentimes. I think. Well, right, right. So I mean, in that case, it's it's more than just <laughs> oh they did their best. But mm. anyway. Yeah, so we'll do a translation. What's your agenda in (laughs) translating this? And what are you trying to do? For real. In in, uh, the the Jerusalem translation, which is the translation used by the bishops in masses in England and Wales, the uh, Kikaratomani in Luke 1 28, Mm -hmm. I believe, um, they translate that as, they don't translate it as full of grace, they translate it as a highly favored one. And it's oh. and you you can't make this up. The the, the clear meaning of Kikaratomania, the Greek, is that uh, you know having been filled with grace. Right. And wow. they ju- they they basically take a sort of Protestant translation and say highly favored one. So that I think is and that's used by is the official translation for England and Wales. So I think sometimes we m- maybe give these people wow. too much benefit of the doubt. Uh, which <clears throat> no. I thought on the topic of translations, I thought. Uh, Mr. Orsay's speech was funny because it was a speech that both sides could, by the end of it, take issue with. Uh, for us, because of his, he did some. Uh, he likes to do that. He, he does. He did some verbal yeah. gymnastics, which sort of irked our side. But then at the end of it, when he said, "Oh, by the way, I oppose the motion," uh, <laughs> so, yeah, which is yeah. always a downer. Classic, Mr. Orsay. Well, and the thing about it too is, like, it just immediately. It's so effective because when you when you provide all of these points for one argument and just say, but I'm not convinced, like it yeah, makes right. everybody just assume that your points are bad. Yeah. Like yeah. like he made all those points against your side. Right, and right. by saying, oh, I still oppose the motion, it it, is, it caused everybody to just like subconsciously or consciously just like throw every point out yes. the window. Like they're like, yeah. oh, well, then none of that, what he said matters. Well, one yeah. thing that really adds a magnifying yeah. glass to it is how is just how confident and forceful he is. Yeah, right. So right. he'll just like he'll just get up there and just say with such utter confidence as if he knows exactly what he's talking about, all these things. And it's very persuasive. And then he gets up there and says, but I don't agree with any of it. So then you're like, okay, well wait, what do you actually think? <laughs> yeah, it's like it's, honestly, it's I'd rather like, hear why you don't believe it. Like right. I'd, I'd rather hear your argument. And Give I asked real opinion. I asked him afterwards and like <laughs> at risk of missing at risk of misrepresenting him I was not convinced of his argument against <laughs> Dare to Hope, yeah. um, huh. but yeah. you know, such is such is life. Right. I mean, I, I would say that overall, I think this debate was one of the most. It was one of the best debates as far as the quality of the speeches that were given, and also yeah. I think is one of the best debates in terms of the number of awful speeches that were given. <laughs> I, I actually. You mean the less number? Of yeah. Yeah. Sorry. I mean, got, it, got, it had got, almost yeah. none. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to. Yeah, I don't. I don't want to call anybody out, but I mean, I don't. I didn't hear any speeches that I thought were awful. I don't think. Well, there was that one but, joke speech about being damned. I went oh, to, that was, went to that was that really was, uh, bizarre. I, I was. I was. I was honestly kind of upset about that speech. I did, I did not find that very funny. That was maybe the one exception. So, but other yeah. than that, but um, didn't find it funny because it 
helps our side. <laughs> well, I mean, no, wait, that, no, 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 it helps our side. She was trying to right. prove that she was. She was trying to prove your side. Well, yeah, yeah. I oh, 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 yeah, yeah. That's true. I don't know. Yeah, that's a good point. But anyway, but no, I mean, I, I think the overall quality of the speeches were, yeah. were very high. I think in a lot of debates, maybe it was because of the topic, but I think a lot of debates you mm. get a ton of people that will just get up there, not really have much of what they're talking about, and just say pretty incoherent things. Whatever's on their mind, not really thought through at all. But yeah. uh, it's also because when people want to prove that hell exists, it's fairly easy to come up with speeches that <laughs> mean that hell exists. <laughs> that was the majority of the speeches. That's, right. that's fair point. I'm that's right. going to hold on to that. <laughs> what would you say best open floor speech of the night, in you guys' opinions? Best open floor speech. Somebody Is there a debate? It's, it's got to go to Plato. No. Wow. Okay. I guess there is a debate. I mean, I'd go with Han. David Hahn. Oh, David, David Hahn. It was, one, was great. Somebody too. pointed yeah, out. I think I'd agree with somebody that. pointed out great. that it's like one of the very rare times that David Hahn did not like crack one joke. Yeah. He yeah. normally spends the whole debate like mm. just coming up with riffs he can do, and then he goes up and jokes right. for five minutes. Yeah. And like he went up there and he took it very seriously. Yeah. And I, you know, it was I, I really want to. It was. Was that debate filmed? Wow. <laughs> so oh, it no. Was with no audio. You're kidding. So maybe, maybe what we'll do. How, how about this, that. guys? All right. We take the video. We could dub it. We dub it, but with this podcast. <laughs> oh, that's so so sad. we have the video of like, so sad. you know, me, like, oh, all this stuff, you guys coming up. That's so sad. But you're actually listening to the Colin Alex show. Uh, I guess that's fine. There, there you go. Uh, well, Unless I'm we can say, find the audio. Well, Anyways. then my point is moot. But I was going to say, I really want to go back and re-listen to David Hahn's speech because mm. it was so... Well, the reason why I think it was the best speech of the night is because he did... The, his points were very well made. They're very articulate. They really flowed from each other. And he did it in a very convincing way that wasn't, I'm telling you this is exactly how it is. Yeah. But he did it more in an explanatory way that, I don't know, it, it just, it really worked as a speech, I think, overall. It was exactly the kind of speech you want to hear in this kind of debate. And I think right. Plato's was very good, but I think it was it was shorter than Han's. And yeah. it also, Plato was more dry, I think. Han, yeah. He has yeah. a... David Hahn has a lot of emotion when he gets into something. So <laughs> I think I Hahn it. managed to show some heart yeah. with the head stuff that he, he actually had some empathy there. Oh, and, and the end of his speech, I don't know if you guys remember, but when he was talking about what this means, right? What this means for people and how he said, this is the kind of thing where because we, uh, I'm, I'm going to I'm going to totally butcher what he said, but Something along the lines of because the danger of hell is so real, because it's not the case that we can just hope that all men are saved, then you have to think, well, where? Um, but, but at the same time, having the knowledge that God does give the grace to everybody, you have to think, okay, am I that grace to other people, right? Where can I look in my own life that was to point. help other people go to heaven? Yeah. And I thought that was a really good yeah. ending of the speech. I thought that mm. did, it was mm. it was powerful. I was convinced. Mm. <laughs> I'm sure you I, are. David, <laughs> yeah, David Willey gave a good speech. Well, I was, uh, I, I, I actually thought David Willey was a little bit. Uh, he, I don't think he was quite on form, honestly. And I agree. I, I definitely okay. agree. I think because David Willey, I think, is one of I, the. I love. Okay, I, our side. Any speech from my side, it was good. Any speech <laughs> from your side, it was great. You know, like, <laughs> the perception of debates is something that is really interesting to me because I will have one complete perception that I'm like, yeah, totally. That was awesome. That was, or that was terrible. And then someone else be like, that right. was a great speech. I, mean, I, well, I think right. it's so strange how we all perceive because he, the debate flows super quick. Right. It does. So right. you can only pay attention to so much. Right, right. But like all of us take away something. You yeah, know, but with the, with the Willie but speech though. Anyways, yeah, back to the Willie. Sorry. Yeah, you guys want bad. So. <laughs> well with the Willie speech I mean I'll, I'll let Clem finish but I just I think from our perspective I've heard David give better defenses of that position privately mm. Okay. so I think that's kind of why I think 
Because I, I feel the same way as Clem. I was a little bit let down by his speech. Mm. Not because I didn't think he made good points in the debate, but just because I know that I've been, we've been in our room and he's given a better defense yeah. than he did that night. So fair enough. Yeah. I, I thought, I thought that, I think that that generally sounds pretty legitimate. I thought mm. he gave one of the better defenses of the, uh, yeah. of the, of the motion uh, for the, for the night. It was, it was definitely like, as far as speeches supporting the motion, I thought that his was one of the better ones. Yeah. Um, he was rather unanimated. Which is kind of interesting, but yeah, right. But yeah, I think he. I mean, that is. I think David Willey is the master of empathy. He takes after his dad in that respect, and he is one of the best speakers in the society when it comes to coming across as relatable and empathetic. Yeah, uh, and he 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 has this stage presence where you want to listen to him and you want to believe him, which is a real gift. Whereas, I mean. I, I'd say Nate as well, very much lack that. And oh, like, I'm, I, yeah, certainly for myself, I need to work on, uh, and I, you know, this goes to some of the stuff we talked about privately, Alex is like, I need to work on speaking so as to be heard because it's very, I find it very easy to get caught up in the arguments and it becomes all about, you know, how can I hammer the opposition? And it's, it's, right. it's not just for the sake of winning. It's for the sake of truth. And I want to show the truth, but there's no point in doing that if people aren't in a position to hear it. And I think what David does very well is he he does speak so as to be heard uh, and he makes people want, he puts people in a position where they do want to listen to him. I just think on Sunday night, he was, I don't know, I think he he maybe lacks a sort of clear thesis in his speech. And so it was a little scattered. Um, and yeah. I mean, like, fair enough. It's I, mine as well. <laughs> in terms like, of being scattered. It's hard to provide as clear a just straightforward, because for you guys, it was provide evidence. Right. For me, it was, let me, I mean, I had three points, which was, uh, we're hoping on Christ's merits, not on our own. We are, um, are all these prophecies that we think are just clear evidence could be interpreted in a way as being conditional prophecies. And my last point was this doesn't hurt our missionary zeal, but it actually encourages it. But to get all those points across, each of those really requires like a full seven minute speech in yeah, itself. Definitely. Whereas for you guys, I, and I'm not saying it was an easier case or whatever, because you guys had to you know, provide a strong case as well. But you had to, you know, you were proving, here's the evidence that there are people in hell. Whereas mine, I'm like, I have to address a number of issues all at once. And mm -hmm. I think David as well, that may be why it's kind of scattered to provide a yeah. narrative. And that's, and that's like the difficult thing about, about this debate, particularly for the side that's like defending Dare to Hope is yeah. you've got to both, you've, you have to both convince people of the principle that it is good to hope that all men are saved. Like first you have to do that. Mm. You then have to basically fight every single piece of evidence that would seem to indicate that people are in hell. Yeah. Because yeah. only- this is an all proposition. Right. Yeah. Only one piece of counter certifiable evidence like destroys the thesis. Yeah. And then once you have one, like, you know, it's yeah. not really up to, like, we don't need to speculate whether there's one or many or like whatever. It's not important to the discussion. Um, but that's like, that's like the hard thing. And I think that's why we often got really scattered propositions as people would go, sure. well, this is a good principle. And also here are a couple of pieces of evidence I find com like I think are the most compelling. And I, this is mm -hmm. why I think we're misinterpreting them. Yeah. And that's just like really hard to fit into a five minute speech or a two minute speech um, in a, in like a really coherent way. Like the, it's not really designed to allow you to have two part speeches. That's yeah. Yeah. I was wondering if maybe part of it, if this was the case with you guys is that also knowing the fact that almost everybody in the room <laughs> did not hold your position, yeah. if that also was a little bit of a, yeah, I don't know if that sort of like flustered you a little bit. I mean, I know with David, I think he had stood up for a while before Curtis recognized him. 
Mm-hmm. So I don't know if it was also the fact that he was kind of like he had been standing for a while. Everybody had been giving speeches against his position. Maybe he was a little bit off his game. I don't yeah. know. But I I was I was a little bit disappointed that his speech was given so late in the debate. Mm. I think if it was given toward the beginning, I think that would have changed the flavor of the debate a lot. I think there would have been more speeches on your guys' side if he had given his speech earlier. Maybe so you not. did have uh, Jared and Francesco both gave speeches. I mm. can't remember the entire. Well, Francesco's but... speech. It was I don't kind was of that, on yeah. your side, but that was well, confusing. he gave a very weird technical argument. Wait, now I'm actually blanking on. Exactly it was all about like what, subjective what hope uh, in time, I think. Oh, yeah, no, yeah. No, yeah, no, actually, I mean, yeah, that's what so Paul his, so his, uh Subjective hope in time. I mean, you can interpret that as humanity under judgment. Right, well, so, so his, yeah. his whole point was, well, what if, so if you can't hope at things that are impossible, and from an eternal perspective, if there are people in hell, right? Yeah. Well, what if those people, it's not implausible that some of those people that end up damned in hell had the theological virtue of hope. So how do you square the fact that they had hope in their lifetime with the fact that they're damned? <clears throat> because it seems like, hmm. maybe I'm misrepresenting his argument, yeah. but it seemed like that that's what it was. Which I think the obvious answer, which is the one that I very poorly gave in my <laughs> question and response, was that, so... That you're taking a temporal virtue of hope that you'll have in your lifetime and then saying, but let's look at the eternal perspective. You're damned. Well, humans are temporal beings that receive virtue in a very temporal way, right? So I think to equate a temporal human virtue of hope with the fact that you, from God's perspective, you will be damned. I don't, I think that's a, that doesn't work. Um, I don't know. Maybe I need a more nuanced approach, but it seems that seems like the obvious answer to me. And I also think that that argument wasn't a. That's not a very strong argument. It's not very compelling. It's maybe a technical, logical argument, but it's not like, wow, wait, that wow. Now I'm totally convinced that we can dare to hope. You know? so, <laughs> but I mean, that's what most most arguments dare to hope. But yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's fair. <laughs> well, Wait, wait, did you say that's most arguments for your side? Yeah, I mean, on our, yeah. I mean, well, actually, no, in, I mean, I think you guys have, go ahead. well, sorry, I, I think you guys have a very strong empathetic pull with people. Mm. Like, I, I actually think that you guys do have a really good case that's very convincing if you spin it the right way. Like, if you don't take a technical point, side yeah. and, and you just say things like, I mean, I don't know, like, um, uh, sort of along the lines of what that, one girl gave a speech sort of at the sort of the end. I never hear her name. I don't know anybody's name. Yeah, but um, I think I know who you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, and, and her speech was all about what is possible with God. Yeah, and I I think you could really play on that because I do think that the so the reason why it's not possible for God, at least from our position, right? The reason why it's not possible for God to save everybody is because we know right now that He didn't. So we know right now that based on Revelation, based evidence, on Revelation, we know yeah. that. Judas, for example, or, or sorry, we should say this. We know that hell is not empty right now. So that is why it is impossible for all men to be saved. But it's not against God's nature. Is that, sorry, is that right, Clem? <laughs> sorry. You, no, no. You're giving me a weird face. No, so I'm, like, I'm agreeing. You're like, I agree. <laughs> yeah, so, so that's, that's why. Like, that, that is the reason. Now, I mean, yeah, so I mean, my position, I guess I need to be more informed, but you would say, okay, well, from a, from a human's perspective, right? go back to the time of Adam and Eve in the garden. It is totally possible that you can hope that all men are saved because hell is not occupied. Hell is empty. Mm-hmm. So mm. 
so the reason why it's impossible for God is because we say, well, we know hell is occupied. But if you were to make the argument, actually, you don't know hell is occupied, I think that is a huge blow to our position. And I also think that works for the empathy side. You can say like, because because once it becomes a possibility, it's very, very compelling, I think. Yeah. The empathy part, I don't know if you guys detected it in my speech, but I tried not to play it. And maybe oh, that was yeah. a fault. That, maybe that was a fault of my mm-hmm. argument, because I, I do think, like like you're saying, the empathy part is the the thing that convinces most people is let's be empathetic. Mm-hmm. I mean, we we were talking with <laughs> Derek that morning. Right. He was like, "Why wouldn't everyone dare to hope?" It's like for him, it was just obvious. And I think for some people who have that empathetic bent, yeah. I think for them. So one of the things we talked about before is this obvious notion. Like on one side, you have the empathetic people who are just like, yeah, it's obvious. We should just hope that all are saved. Whether or not they are saved, that's up to God. And then on the other side, you have the kind of calculated cold, like, okay, well, we know from Revelation, you need to stick with the evidence and we have the evidence. Here it is. And um, that kind of obviousness. But I tried not to play on the obviousness mm-hmm. or the empathy side. I mean, my uh, my points of we're hoping on not our own merits nor on humanity's merits, but on Christ's merits to save people. We have a visible fact of that, which is the cross, which shows that God, that Christ wills to save all people. I used Paul and Timothy when he sends it to Timothy, God wills all to be saved. And then I had to, you know, how do I address the evidence that you guys have? Well, I say that doesn't rise to the level of descriptive certitude. It's not this is exactly the situation, but I use Jonah's example where he says, you guys are going to be destroyed in 40 days mm-hmm. and that's definitive. But then they repented and they weren't right. Yeah. So meaning all these like, okay, yeah, there's going to be people damned or whatever can be a, dis- not can be a descriptive, but it also could be a conditional prophecy. And then also the final point about missionary zeal, it's like, okay, well, um, if you dare to hope all are saved, but you also hold the possibility of hell, then that's not a guarantee. We're not universalist or whatever. Yeah. So I didn't appeal to empathy in any of those, but maybe that would have gotten more people if I did. But I tried I, I to wanna, base it. Yeah. Please tear t- apart well, these no, arguments well, too. Well, but but yeah. I didn't want to tear apart the arguments first, but I just wanted to say at the very beginning, you had said the cold calculated side of just saying we know there are people in hell. I, I didn't want to point out. That I might be want to point out. Yeah. <laughs> one, of our, one of our big points that Clem and I talked about before the debate that I think I stressed in my speech uh, a good bit was that we want everybody to go to heaven. Mm. We really desire that. That's something that we really, really want. And I think every Catholic wants that. So right. it, it's not a matter of, well, we're just the cold calculating side. I mean, we do want everybody to go to heaven. And, I, and that's yeah. why I think your side really has the advantage because everybody mm. wants to believe your side, right. but they just, I feel like do most they? people think they can't. Do I think so. Them? Yeah, I think so. I, if you actually spend time thinking about the reality of hell and the reality that there are people in there is just, it's terrifying. It's so sad, you know? And let me, I, and let me I think- float something funny though. Okay. Is there a- <laughs> No better time. Please. Uh, I told this to Alex. Do you think there's a correlation between people who know for certain that hell is populated and are approving of the death penalty? <laughs> Well, sure, there's a correlation, yeah. There's a correlation, but I, I, I don't. I mean, no causation or whatever. But it's I mean, trials. I am like Dairy Hope. Basically, from Wednesday to Sunday, convinced me, and I'm like very against the death penalty. Um, I don't so know. I, I feel like know. the same empathetic. Wait, did I know that? Did I know that you're really against the death penalty? I think you debated against me in the first debate. 
Oh, that's right. That was you. Yeah, yeah. yeah very I forgot. First, very I forgot game. that. It was me and David Willey <laughs> versus you and wait, don't tell me who Arkin? was it. I don't know. I can't remember. No, wait. Ava. Was it Ava or Eloisa? Maybe. I think yeah. it was a girl. I think it was. I think it was Ava. Was it Ava? Yeah. It's embarrassing. Okay, that's Old funny. Old school Veritas. Yeah, that was the that was the very first one. Yeah. It was in the I remember it was in the Fireside Lounge. And, oh my uh, gosh! Back in the and day. I, I remember <laughs> one of the things I really remember. Oh no 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 no! It definitely was Ava because one yeah. of the things I remember from that debate very clearly was David Hahn getting up and asking Ava questions. Or well, actually, sorry, I'm not sure if Ava was debating with you, but she definitely gave a speech toward your side. And David Hahn got up, and poor Ava. I mean, she, I don't think she was prepared for this question, but he just asked her. Because she said the death penalty is unbiblical. I think she's the word unbiblical. Ooh. And David Hahn brought up that passage in Romans. Yeah. And just said, well, what do you think of this? And she was just kind of silent. She just like stared at him and she's like, well, I think there are multiple interpretations of that passage. And it was just, it was just, it was a very bad response. And, and I feel bad for her because she, she definitely was not prepared. I, if I was giving a speech on that side and I heard that and I wasn't prepared, I, I don't know if I'd do better, but. It was just, it was very funny. It was very funny. Guys, so. that was four years ago? No, like three. three. It'll be three, three years ago? this spring. Three this spring. Wow. Oh my gosh. Crazy stuff. We've come <laughs> a long right, way. spring. I, I keep forgetting. It wasn't the fall. There's a debate with about 45 people, invite only. Back uh, before I had to go to you? Uh, yeah, back in the day, Babyface Nash. Yeah. <laughs> oh, we were all Babyface. It's so <laughs> funny, like looking back on it. Yeah, it You is. know, it's funny. And you mentioned David Hahn earlier about like his speech being really good. Uh, it's cool. I mean, my speeches seem to get worse, but uh, seeing people go from like, you know, kind of okay speech, kind of nervous, whatever, to mm-hmm. like, oh, I'm starting to improve to like, oh, here's the speech where right. like you came into your own. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and I can remember that for you too. Um, what was the speech? Uh, hasn't happened. Pra- <laughs> no, 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 no. Praise and worship music. I, I think yeah. that that's. Oh, I do remember that. That was a really good one. Yeah. You, you really came into your own, and I remember. I mean, for both of us, yeah. um, doing this, however many debates we've done, like trying to improve each time and, sure. and adding new things. And uh, we did that. What was it? A parliamentary debate workshop or whatever. And you made those sure, videos. Yeah. And at the beginning, I was like, "This is stupid. He's not here. He shouldn't be making videos or whatever." <laughs> we watched the videos, and no lie, they were like. Great advice. The stuff mm. that we had been talking about, yeah, of like right. how to give a speech and whatever. And it, it's funny because we, you know, in our minds, we think like, I have the perfect argument. Get mm. up in front of like 100 people yeah, and try yeah. and say it coherently mm. and clearly. It's not the same it's thing. Not There's the same nothing thing. Right. that improves self-confidence than giving speeches at these kind of debates, especially yeah. when you haven't done extensive preparation. Right. It's well, because so I've noticed it in myself. I'm, I'm not too much of a nervous public speaker at this point. I've done it a lot. But I have noticed that there is a, a very real correlation between the amount of preparation I've done and how self-confident I feel. Yeah. And a lot of the time you don't get that much preparation. Like a lot of the time you just have to get up there and speak when you haven't really prepared. And so I think these kind of debates really help you to gain that self-confidence when you have these ideas in your head and you, you hear both sides and you really, you know what you want to say and then you get up there and you just have to say it in a clear, coherent way without tripping over your words, without being nervous. It really helps. It's yeah. really fun. Speaking yeah. of which, the dark horse of the night Mr. John Sally. I mean, oh, what, yeah. what happened oh, wow, to John? Yeah. I mean, like nervous, bashful, quiet John has now become this here, like, here, man. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> here, here. I, I don't know what to call him, but he, uh, yeah, introducing us. Uh, I think he introduced Nation I as a power couple. <laughs> yeah, he definitely <laughs> he introduced he you as a Latin major too. I don't like that. That was, that I came funny. out of left that field. Funny, yeah. uh, but John's really, uh, he's, he's grown a lot. And I think, honestly, it's one of the great 
one of the things I'm most proud of with the society is the way that it has, for a lot of people, it has given them confidence and public speaking skills that they never would have got otherwise. So, no, I don't yeah. think so. I mean, I even know because Justine presented uh, this yeah. semester, mm-hmm. and I was blown away because, I mean, she's not a very outgoing person. She's very, I mean, not as shy as some people, but definitely not a, the public speaking type. So I was right. very proud. And it's because of this kind of these kind of debates that really foster that kind of spirit. And it's funny, you know, so I did policy debate in high school and policy debate in a lot of ways is very, very, very different from this kind of debate because just as we were saying earlier, the way that you have to, what Clem was saying about how you have to um, get people to, you have to speak to people, get people to understand where mm-hmm. you're at. Right. And in policy debate, it's very different because you're speaking to a judge and the judge is told, they're actually trained specifically to be as impartial as possible and to be as sort of <laughs> unhuman as possible just to only evaluate the arguments. Right. So in policy debate, it's all about extensive preparation, months and months of prep, just doing the arguments. And I, I really love that. I love it a lot. And that, that's one of the reasons why I, after doing policy debate, that I decided I wanted to be a lawyer. But what's funny is that these kind of debates, the parliamentary debates, are more like real life, mm. where it's it's not about, okay, you have some impartial judge that's just evaluating your arguments. It's, no, you, th- these are real people, and these are real topics that real people care about, and can you convince them of your position? So Well, and that even goes to like, you know, you guys are mentioning that in Dare to Hope, like it's got a very emotional appeal, but I don't think that an emotional appeal would work in a room where you are literally the only people who believe that thing. Like, I think that when people come into that debate, tell me about it. <laughs> <laughs> like, I think that, you know, if, if the room were like half and half, or even like if we had like a third of the room for us, yeah. it might've been, it probably would have been a pretty solid way to like galvanize our side yeah. and maybe like pull in, you know, 10, 15 people. Mm. But when you consider the fact that, you know, we stood up, we were the only people who were arguing for that side. Mm. Um, it becomes a lot easier for people to look around the room and go, well, of course I'm right. I'm in the majority. Like no matter what right, emotional right. appeal that has, like obviously the evidence is on my side. So like, right. th- I don't know how important this is. Well, one thing, oh, sorry. Go for it. <laughs> oh, well, I, I was wondering because I think that the two things that really get people to change their mind, at least in my experience, are our emotional appeals. Maybe not in the case you're talking about where it's everybody's on one side. But emotional appeals. And the other thing is, cross-examinations when you have one person that has one side but then upon questioning they just get totally obliterated i mean my mind just goes to in the confessions when saint augustine talks about what what's the name again is it malca wait faustus yeah yeah right and where he has all these questions about manichaeism and uh it just can't handle yeah it can and it's like wait a minute (laughs) this guy's an idiot yeah well well, no but but that's real i mean it's just that's the way it works if you can't stand up to a cross-examination so i was actually i i'd love to see i I mean i know this is we only have one more semester um and i don't even know if this is regular parliamentary style but it would be interesting to add a little bit more of a questioning element in there Hmm. because i think good questions really pick apart an argument and really change people's minds i write it down Cross yeah, examination yeah, yeah. section. Alex spilled into my. You might be our head of debate next year. So. Well, because well, one thing can, I was just going back to policy. God debate, help one us thing all. I loved, <laughs> yeah, well, one thing I loved in policy debate was those cross examinations because I can tell you nothing is more satisfying when you know your opponent is wrong than getting up there and giving an excellent, dispassionate cross examination where you just tear them apart, yeah. ask questions they just cannot answer, and then they just 
yeah, in front of a judge or an audience, they just look like they don't know what they're talking about. So I want to throw this to Clem. So how long has this been one of your issues that you wanted, you've been dealing with this Von Balthazar, Derry Hope, Derry Hope. Yeah. Probably, probably four or five years at this point. I've been discussing it with David Willey and before you got here, even in high school. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, probably a year or two before I came to Franciscan. So I probably read Von Balthazar the first time, maybe, yeah, four or five years ago. And then... Uh, so you read it in high school? Yeah, I think senior year of high you school. You weren't entirely compelled by it. <laughs> <laughs> Not exactly. I think he... Um, I mean, it was it was good to read the book because often people talk about these issues. It's like, you know, some of these Catholic, like Vatican II, everyone has an opinion on it. Nobody's read the documents. Uh, I know you have, but... You're an exception. Um, but yeah, this was something that I actually wanted to engage with his work. Uh, and I, I wasn't particularly convinced, but I, I think he's very creative. <laughs> and then, um, yeah. And then I think, I don't know, I guess it's sort of subdued in my mind for a little while. And then in the last year, well, probably 18 months, it's kind of resurfaced. Um, Ed and Ame, the Italian twins that we've talked about a lot. They've been very interested. We actually were going to co-author a paper on it. It never materialized, so I ended up writing an article instead. Did um, I ever get published or anything? No, I, I didn't. I I think I sent it to one like blog, and they didn't. They weren't interested. But really, see, I, I yeah, I think you should send that. Well, see, I don't know because a place like First Things is a little mm. whatever. But I, I would really. I mean, as far as I remember, that article it was excellent. I thought you did such a good. Mm. Job. It was very comprehensive. It was very well. Did you guys? Either of you two read I haven't it? read it. No, yeah, you actually, I didn't yeah. even know it existed. It's one I of those was, things that like you should definitely send it. You should keep trying. Yeah, very thanks, well Ash, yeah. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's really just summarizing. I wanted to write the article, not really for people to read it, uh, which I, I take that point, but really just so I could have all my thoughts on the issue on paper. But yeah, I think um, it's also an issue that I've done some reading of this kind of secondary literature. So Ralph Martin has a couple of books, uh, both his, you know, Will Many Be Saved, which promote a lot promote a lot of debate on this and then just recently he's come out with this book uh church in crisis and there's a chapter in there uh, i think the title of the chapter is uh, i think it's is it all a game and there he talks more about this issue you know taylor marshall's been talking about bishop Barron, obviously michael voris so it is it has come up a lot in the last last couple of years <laughs> comes <laughs> like, up in all the comments on bishop Barron's youtube page. yeah I right, mean, right almost right. every yes. other comment is yeah. some type of dairy hope you're mm. promoting imagine reading universalism, YouTube comments which is <laughs> <laughs> no, okay <laughs> I okay. If Bishop Barron <laughs> Sorry, listens to this, wait a second. I am kill a baseball guy. I have engaged three different comments. Either Bishop Barron or a staffer has replied to me, and all three were about Dairy Hope being wrong. I'm not wow. kidding because I wow. I was so against it. This wait, are you for it now? I'm f I'm for it now. Okay, so I I have a theory. Sorry, I totally actually. Uh, sorry, no, I'm, I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry. I, I always do everything. Sorry, <laughs> I have a theory that I think that if you are forced to debate an issue on a certain side. I mean, maybe this is not that big of a theory, but you actually uh, end up agreeing with the side you're debating, even if you didn't beforehand. It sort of entrenches it in your mind. I think I agree with that. If, I yeah. think if we got you to debate the other side, you probably would believe the other side. Well, well here, here's one of the you're biggest. Right. <laughs> I'm so like intellectually dishonest with myself. Well, I, think I think that's all of us. I think well, Nature's right. Yeah. Well, one thing that I really struck me is because you just said the thing about the death penalty and Dairy Hope. So David Death Willey, was my first debate. I defended it, and now I'm like still defending yes. it, well, or, or defending abolishing him. it. Yeah. Well, yeah, well, you know, yeah, well, David Willey, you know, the biggest Dare We Hope guy on the block right here. <laughs> he, so he before the before that death penalty debate, 
he, I believe he was either undecided or leaning against it. And in my discussions with him in our preparation for the debate, by the end of the debate, he was firmly convinced that the death penalty was, uh, it was acceptable, which I thought was very, very, very interesting because of how, because like, it, it wasn't like, well, he was leaning toward the death penalty. I, I think he was leaning against it. And then he became a very firm proponent of it. Or another thing, I mean, I know these are two David Willey examples, but the other thing is um, earlier in the semester, I know when the whole COVID restriction stuff, he was much, much more lenient than I was in criticizing them. And then once I approached him with our idea to write this article, all of a sudden he's more of a firebrand than I am. <laughs> all guns know? blazing. Yeah. So it's, it's just funny. I, I do think that when you're forced to take a side on an issue, then you become more and more entrenched in that. Let's Which take is, let's take an issue you have taken a side on. Okay. Masks. <laughs> Are we already going to transition to this? <laughs> so I'm not enough wine glasses in to talk about. Yeah, <laughs> well, we have plenty more Carl Red to get to. <laughs> so you wrote an article, co co-written with uh, David Willey. Um, wear your damn mask. That was the title <laughs> of the article with the A taken out because obviously you know. That would be too much Sensitive. if you put the actual A in damn. It's a classy right. publication. Yeah. Oh, right. It's classy. Right. We say damn, but you censored the A, so mm. no one knows what it actually means. Uh, yeah. Everybody under 13 uh, has never heard the word before. Where you're dumb? I don't get this. And um, you make the argument that masks are... Here's where I think your argument was one of the best. This is not Franciscan. This is not Franciscan community. We are importing all these external, mm. statewide policy, weird stuff to Franciscan. And we're just complying with it and then like compelling other people who have different opinions about the issue, about masks and whatever, who are basing it on evidence. We're just saying, well, you have to, you know, and just wear your damn mask. What's the problem? Right. Well, I, I want to start out by saying, just to clarify, I actually... One of the reasons why I decided to approach David to write this article is because of how much of a change I've seen recently. So I actually think it's not the case that for the majority of the semester, Franciscan was doing a bad job. In fact, I think it's pretty clear that Franciscan was doing one of the best jobs of any university in the nation mm -hmm. at dealing with COVID. So it's it's not the case that I think Franciscan from the get-go has been doing a bad job. I mean, I so I remember... Um, through student government things, Clem and I have gotten the privilege to meet with Father Dave and Mr. Schmeising about these different issues. And one thing that Father Dave said many times in meetings, he said this, meetings with us, I believe he said this in his meetings with the students as a whole, is he said, I don't want this to be the new normal. He's very clear about that. And one of the things that was great about Franciscan is that they actually were not super strict in enforcing mask regulations. Yes. They said you had to wear masks, right? Just because that's the statewide policy is that indoors you have to wear them. And yet they, I mean, for the most part, besides classrooms, I mean, I don't know about your guys' classes, but at least, so my classes, they're pretty strict about it. But Yeah, mine were as well. But outside of class, I mean, you could walk around the JC without one and odds are you wouldn't get talked, you wouldn't get yelled at. The library, I mean, you go in the library, nobody's wearing a mask, you know? No. So anyway, I mean, that's just the yeah. background, right? So, <laughs> yeah, so in the past, the reason why we wrote the article is not because we thought, wow, Franciscan's doing a terrible job. It's that in the past week, I mean, really in the past few days, it's been getting worse and worse and worse. And I do think, you know, in our article, we say that it's sort of buying into the worst of what the culture has to offer us regarding these restrictions. Mm -hmm. It's sort of saying that in the face of what we know about the virus, 
it's still acceptable to follow all these restrictions that totally ruin a normal human experience and normal human life. So just to clarify, right? It's not that, wow, Franciscan's terrible. It's that why are all of a sudden we caving at the last minute when we only have two weeks of school left anyway? And I think there's so many people who are just like, really really sick of it and mm-hmm. they see like masks as a way out you know like there there's just like there i think there's so many students um not even necessarily speaking for myself but like right. they they just like we i think most of us thought that we were just going to get through the semester and things were going to be fine and then all of a sudden this these past this past week or two has like for whatever reason has suddenly gotten really really bad yeah and i don't know like what happened but like how how much of the student body do you think is currently at home right now because of this whole like we're shutting down i mean mean, this moment i think is going back and she's not coming back she's going to virginia because they they said you can we're professors have to allow online classes they're trying to get everyone out at this they're trying to get everyone out right I, I, mean, I would and say then that they're cracking down at the same time. Yeah, I, I can't. I wouldn't be able to say right now, but I'm. I mean, I'm guessing by Thanksgiving it'll be less than ten percent of campus back, if that. And they I mean, they they're not coming back when they go home. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, you it's know, just the whole, like we yeah. made Franciscan a ghost town very quickly. Like even like last night it was like eight o'clock. I was in the JC. There were like fifteen people. I yeah. Was like, what well, is this? One thing I like about this podcast is that I'm able to sort of elaborate on a lot of ideas. And well, and one thing I, you can't really say this in the article because the article, we meant it to be something that everybody could read, whether or not you agree with us or not, et cetera. But one thing that I, I'm just so surprised about is how willing people are to play the game of society and the game of the government, the game of the media, where they just say, you know, they think, okay, well, we'll just put on a mask and it'll be fine. And it's not the, you know, masks, they're unpleasant, they're restrictive, but you know, it's not the end of the world to just put on a mask. But the thing is that you're playing to their game, right? What's going on right now? I I don't know if you guys have looked at the data um, and I haven't done a deep dive or anything, but one thing that's funny is that if you look at the number of cases, it's sort of a roller coaster, right? It's like up and down, up and down, up and down. And we're definitely riding a third wave right now. It's definitely, I think the case numbers are the highest they've ever been. But what's funny is, what's interesting is that if you look at deaths, it's actually not the case that we're, unless something new has been coming out the last few days that I haven't realized, but it's actually not the case that we've reached the most deaths per day or deaths per positive case that we've seen right now. It's, that was actually back in March. So actually what's going on is we're just so fixated on the number of cases and people are just, they're just buying into what's going on. They're, they're wearing the mask. They're doing the distancing. They're saying, oh, well, we just need to get the case numbers down. But how long are you going to do this? Stop playing their game, you know? They know it's a game too. They they just say, well, we don't want to get shut down. We don't. We want to be able to live our lives. But by playing their game, by participating, wearing the masks and the distancing, when we know it, they're just fixating on the case numbers. I think that's the that's the real problem. Well, it's because that's what gets punished. Like we, you know, we reinstitute measures and they do all of these things because cases are rising. You know, I I assume like because people, you know. As cases rise, we assume deaths will rise or something, even if that's not the case. And so people are people are worried about case numbers because that's what potentially increases measures. And so they increase measures to avoid increasing measures. And like it's it's all very but dumb. It's all, but, like I, I'm not I'm not agreeing with it. Right. But right. Like, yeah. No, I think I mean, that's, that's why we yeah. fixate on it. Is that's well. Know. Here's an honest question: Why is the case numbers the only thing that people talk about these days? Like like why why are people so fixated on case numbers? Like we have X amount of case numbers. So what? I mean. Franciscan students, has there been a single hospitalization among Franciscan students? I don't think there has been. Clem, have you gone to the hospital for your COVID case? <laughs> uh, did, other you, things, did you catch COVID, by the way? No. Nah, well, maybe I did, maybe I didn't. Oh. <laughs> You'll never know. You'll never know. 
Yeah. Asymptomatic, the, the martyrs baby. had it first, so <laughs> just like on everything, you guys are ahead. The of martyrs had it before it was. You cool. know, you're sitting <laughs> with three to, martyrs to be, right now. To be fair, exactly one martyr had it. <laughs> Every yeah. one of us and quarantined. And then all of you were like, a, "Oh, I'm now going to quarantine." We have incredible immune systems. Not a really single do. martyr tested positive after we quarantined. It's pretty impressive. It was it particularly is. some of those things we did on retreat. Uh, we won't go into them. I will or will not confirm that I skinny dipped with Alex McKinnon. I that was how you said I that. Cannot believe you brought that. That was such a big middle focus. of the that debate. Was I was like, "What are you doing?" <laughs> we were less than more than that's actually six feet apart. <laughs> well, what's funny? What's funny is that when Josh got up, I don't know if you guys remember this, but when Josh got up to give his speech, I just gave the red card. I shot him down because I was idea. so worried that Josh was going to even just add to the add crazy. to the. Yeah. This was the charity debate. Yeah, and <laughs> you uh, you thought it was necessary to say that comment, and I I applaud you on that. Um, Thank you. Unprompted. Actually, no. It was prompted, it was by, prompted John's, by, it was John, by John's speech. But I didn't really. I don't think most people heard John's comment, and so it sounded like I was just commenting on the fact that Alex and I go skinny dipping. That was, that was very which very is funny. fine. Which is fine. I'm anyway. breaking barriers. <laughs> like, well, fine is a word. After, we, after this, <laughs> we're going skinny dipping in the Ohio River. So uh, that is not, not correct. Um, <laughs> I'm not with him. <laughs> I'm not. With him. <laughs> Look, it's a great time. All right. Well, it's a once in a lifetime experience, and then you die. <laughs> yeah, sounds like it. Uh, yeah, that's yeah. definitely not. You could catch something nasty. I don't. I don't just want to keep ranting about the whole mask thing, but it just please. <laughs> but so we're. We're all wearing our mask here, right? Socially distanced. Yeah. Sure. We're at least six inches apart. <laughs> Tom, can, you, can you move your hand? And between us, we have eight feet, so I think we're good. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. I just, the, the position that I, that I disagree with the most, I think this is why we, we wrote the article, is the position that it's obvious that you should just comply with any regulation that's set in front of you regarding COVID and just shut up about it and just deal with it, right? And and one thing that I, I'm finding very weird and kind of disheartening in the comment section, which I again I haven't read all the comments under the article that was posted. Oh, let chat. me get let me get some for you. Don't okay, you? Yeah, 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 please. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, yeah we'll, we'll talk about that in a second. But um, <laughs> one thing I find disheartening is that a lot of people. So okay, so our whole article, right? The title: Just wear your damn mask. The article: Why are you shutting down opposing opinions? Listen to the rational side of people that disagree with these restrictions, right? And then the comments are people saying. Wow, this article is so stupid. It's like, okay, you're doing exactly what we just said is crazy. That's the position I find the most absurd is the one that thinks that those that disagree with wearing masks have no proper argument. I mean, I I mean, we say this in the article, I think. I mean, I understand the argument of people that say we should wear masks. I understand what you're saying. I disagree with you, but I understand it. But the position that says I don't understand why you don't want to wear a mask, I mean, that's crazy. If we had told people two, three years ago, we're going to get to a point where everybody in the United States is forced to cover their face whenever they go out in public, otherwise face fines or, you know, I mean, at minimum, social uh, unacceptance. I don't know what the word is. Yeah. Being a social, social outcast. Pressure. Yeah. Social yeah. pressure. Castigation. <laughs> yeah. You'd be like, what? That's crazy. I, I mm-hmm. you know, that's some dystopian idea of the future. But here we are. Right. And and so I, I think Welcome that to the dystopia. I know. Right. But it's it's just very unfortunate that people have the opinion that, wow, you disagree with wearing masks? You're an insensitive, uncharitable asshole, you know? Like <laughs> I mean, fair enough, but I still disagree. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 you know. So anyway. Okay, so I, I'm taking a look at this. I, I a little disappointed. Fifty-six comments. 
Only um, 56. Oh. I was very much a Pales in comparison digits. to a certain but, uh, post on modesty. Yeah, I, did, I didn't oh want to uh, make comparisons. intellectual. But, uh, <laughs> so we, we've got, first of all, we've, we've got the usual greats. Uh, I'm thinking Teresa Bova, who has <laughs> made it something of a career choice to go onto Facebook comments to berate everyone for using Facebook comments. <laughs> yeah, I love um, that. I love how her, like, I, I mean, this is her and other people too. What they'll do is they'll be like, Oh my gosh, guys! Facebook is not the place to argue. How dare and yet they you? Keep their Facebook. You're so yeah, 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 stupid. Yeah, Don't funny. you see? It's not it's helpful. Um, you know, I honestly, I honestly, let me didn't... assert my superiority. Am I the only one without Facebook here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I am um, not under the supreme overlord Zuckerberg. Now wait a minute. Do you, you use WhatsApp? I have it for the Kellen and Alex show. Mm. And uh, you follow me. I, think. I do follow you. Zuckerberg I didn't know that. Was Wait, do you have Parlor though? That's the real question. Oh, the no, oh but it, my gosh. But the name sounds like that was a bad name. You know, like Parlor has. Yeah, that's really names. stupid. Like, yeah. why most of the anyway? <laughs> See, I have Parlor. Like, I have. I think, are they trying the to be four chan? The thing about like, Parlor is just there's like there's nothing like for like there's nothing on Parlor. There's it's it's like Twitter, but the. But the it's Twitter, user but only right is way. like worse. Yeah, okay, no, I, I want like to get back to like, I want to get back to the immensely interesting Facebook warriors. Okay, okay, okay. These yeah, yeah, brave yeah. souls, the these, these are... brave souls who are stepping into the brink, mm. who are fighting the good fight, <laughs> who are going into the comments. Please yeah. illuminate us. Let's hear it. These put the um, they put the uh, academically excellent in Franciscan. <laughs> well, let's hear it. Let's so hear we've it. got um, who we got? So. Uh, Professor Walker, I believe, quote from Chesterton, to have a right to do a thing is not at all the same as to be right in doing it. So I think he's saying... I agree with that quote. I think, yeah. <laughs> um, Sean McKeegan. Sean? Sean. 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 He's, he <laughs> is the track wow. coach. I'm, I'm oh, a fan of- he says, please make shareable. So that's pretty cool. Uh, Rachel Alexander wants to know if it's satire. Uh, I think she's confused. <laughs> um, we got Matt Walker actually attacks the Veritas Society, so that's fun. Here, here. Um, <laughs> yeah, what, what, what I found funny about Matt Walker's comment is that that's the kind of comment you would make if you heard that the article was against wearing masks and then you didn't read the article. Right, right. It's like which it's I think not, the majority of people did. Right, right. It's like you hear, oh wow, they they had an article against masks. Let me make a comment yeah. about why they're stupid. And to be fair, without Nish, actually reading the article, I would. I think Nash is you're giving him the benefit of the doubt and assuming he can read. <laughs> oh um, well, I mean they are on Facebook. There's few that can read. Well, see, so, wait, Alex, Alex, I, I'm a little worried actually that some of these people are going to be listening to this podcast. Oh yeah, hey guys, if you're listening to this, <laughs> ha, lol. <laughs> Take it. <laughs> no, I hope I hope they do. Anyway, I hope they do. Okay. But I mean, yeah, we're reading your comments on Facebook. Why are you on Facebook? And I'll ask this to all of you guys. <laughs> like, question. why? Like, to be why? fair, actually, sorry. Do you, do you uh, wait, big, I, I want to hear. Do you want big tech to rule your lives? No, yeah. Here, I, no, anyway. no. I mean, that, I mean take, that's pretty take much. Take some it. more color. No, 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 no. You have to read the one about the. Oh, the, the incarnation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One? Oh, but I, I do have a comment about Facebook after, but Clem, you got to read. Okay. I mean, this was. Oh my. This is hard to read with a straight face. So. Wait, I, need well, a, I need another, yeah. another cheers, sip. Cheers, yep. lads. Cheers. All right. This is the great Rachel who has this to say. In response to just one point, mask wearing is, all caps, incarnational. We veil what's holy. That's why some tabernacles are veiled, why a bride wears a veil, why nuns wear veils, why Moses veiled his face before the presence of the Lord. 
We're going deep here. Old Testament, baby. We're veiling our faces before one another out of reverence for them. We want sorry. We want to do what we can to keep each other healthy in a worldwide pandemic. Another person is worth veiling our faces for. They have dignity. The Holy Spirit dwells in them. I look around at a bunch of veils. Sorry. This is the punchline. I look around at a bunch of veiled faces and remember that God is present in all of us, including me. You know, I wish, you know, I really wish this person was so veiled I couldn't even see them. (laughs) It would be it would be better for me. See what I and then I could remember that they didn't That would really signify their holiness. That doesn't seem like an argument for wearing masks during a pandemic. That seems like an argument for wearing masks at all times. It's like it's like wait, why are we ever taking them off now? I mean, if that's your argument, then why don't we just wear them all the time? Why don't I mean, we be, all become, you know, living tabernacles and never show our face, you know? Exactly. This is... Uh, See, I I both... Saudi Arabia has that down. I don't want to... <laughs> <laughs> you, you should comment that. Is that why... The, you, you should comment that, like, is that why the Muslims wear hijabs? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, man. Veiling what's holy. I, I can't wait like, to hear more right? of the Facebook warriors if you have, if oh, you have no, more. No, no, I, I think we... That, that's pretty much it. Pretty yeah. much the height, yeah. the height of intellectualism, or the, the depth. Of. Yeah. See, I, See I, okay. Wait, wait. Why? Okay, explain to me why you're on Facebook. Oh yeah, you know I want to give get me to that. give yeah. me a rationale. Do, do you find some type of duty? Like, oh, I owe it to my fellow wait, man real, to use. Real quick, the, d- just to clarify, yes. I didn't. So I I've had Facebook for a while, but I I think starting in May. Well, no, actually, no. This summer I was a little bit more active, but definitely in the beginning of the school year. I became less and less active and then I deactivated it for several months. And the only reason, excuse me, the only reason why I reactivated it is because there was some weird stuff going on with Franny's chat, which I'm technically a moderator of. So I wanted to <laughs> sort of help sort that out. But um, was you guys this, created was it, this right? during the, uh, uh, the David debate, Asia, or was it something else? No, it was, it was something else, but David Willie. Yeah. So David Willie was the, he is both the admin and the founder and also the, uh, I think he was one of the idea. I'm correct that. Yeah, we and sort then, of encouraged him, but he was the one who really led the charge. Yeah, so then in that was actually that was spring of our freshman year. Back in the day. You know, sometimes when it comes to stuff like this, I just think it's honestly pretty cool what we've been able to do. Just th- you know, if you had told me going into college that you would create and then moderate the only the sole platform that Franciscan students would use to communicate on Facebook, I would have been like are you serious? But we did. I mean, okay. We, another question. We just How do you guys have so much talk power? To each other? How we, do you all have so uh, much power? We, you control the social media. <laughs> you control the student government. You control the Veritas Society. I just want to yield it. You. But listen, we, we yield it with a power that is respectful of free speech. Did so you just we, say you yield it? Wield, wield meant wield. Meant we do wield. not you yield. Power. You do not yield yeah. any power. I was going to say. I meant wield. In classical, you, you are uh, British monarch. style. You <laughs> sure, only sure. absorb sure. everything. The, the Colonies listen, are listen, everywhere. We, we took down Franny's talk to each other. Franny's we destroyed them. Other. Blew here, them here. out of the water. When, when we started, That's Franny's not how I heard it go down. But. Franny's talk to each other had thousands upon thousands of daily active users. Do you know how many they have right now? Zero. Well, partially because it shut down. Cheers. But Franny's chat 
replaced Franny's talk to each other. And and I can't take all the credit. I mean, David really was the one that had the idea. But I, I distinctly remember spring of freshman year going to all my friends and saying, join Franny's chat, join Franny's chat, leave Franny's talk to each other, join Franny's <laughs> chat. And it worked. We got, I think in the first day, in the first 24 hours, we had 500 members. Hmm. And now we're at 1.5 thousand or something like that. So Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Anyway, but just to continue the conversation about why we have Facebook. Um, yeah, Facebook sucks. So, Mr. Clement. Why do I have Facebook? Mm. Uh, Mr. Alex. <laughs> <laughs> Go to Alex first. Got him. Yeah. So mine is actually kind of an embarrassing story. Uh, <laughs> let's hear it. <laughs> no, yeah, it not, not that You join Facebook. It's pretty embarrassing. That is, that is fair. Um, so there was, a, there was a YouTube channel that I was a, a really big fan of uh, back in the day, back in high school, called Blimey Cow. And it oh, was yeah. a uh, yes. Christian homeschool YouTube channel. Not seen it. It's well, it was see, a lot. It was day, a lot funnier in high school. Back but like, in the day, Blimey Cow was Messy Mondays, wasn't it? Well, Messy Mondays is a show Blimey Cow does. Oh, it is. Yes, but I did. D- does Messy Mondays predate Blimey Cow? No. Oh, it doesn't. Blimey, Blimey Cow existed, oh. and then they were doing messages, which was like a fake, uh, like, um, which was like a fake. Advice, really advice video, advice video column, thing. and then they yeah, turned no, that, that into yeah. messy, and then they turned no. it into messy Mondays. <laughs> messy Mondays is just a series that they do. Oh, okay, and they've okay, been doing yeah. it for years upon years upon years. Um, it's like the same guy, right? Yeah, pretty much. Like it's 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 been the same brothers and eventually their wives for about like fifteen years. Say, say the YouTube channel again. Blimey cow. Blimey cow. I used to follow them in high school back in the day. Yes, well, same. And so I. So I, no, I even went so far as to join their Patreon for a while. No way. Um, wow. I have what a, is their wow. Patreon is next level. I have, yeah. a, I, I have, a, I have a shirt that says, I prefer my Mondays messy. Yes. Um, I, I think I've seen you wear it, actually. Oh my it, is, gosh. it was a long time ago that I was wearing that consistently. Well, not consistently. <laughs> well, do you I have it at campus? Or not anymore. I wore it last year? I wore it my freshman year. I don't think we knew each other freshman year, but you might have hmm. seen me wearing it. I feel like I've definitely... And I might have worn it in Austria. Yeah, I mean that was. It's it, quite yeah. possible mm-hmm. that I wore it in Austria at some point, like okay. in the warmer months. It's like super comfortable. It's like a, it's a great shirt. You, you joined a Patreon. I joined. If you a want Patreon. to join the Kellen and Alex show Patreon, <laughs> no, no, we, we don't. We don't have one. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, okay. And I'm so I got the Facebook to join the Blimey Cowmunity Facebook group. <laughs> wow. <laughs> okay, that's next level. Yeah. Um, I was a was already next level, massive Blimey Cow fan in high school Cow in my movie. freshman year. I'm not quite understanding why you still have Facebook. See, I I don't really either. <laughs> I use it. I use I I write uh, articles for this tiny tiny football website, so sometimes I'll post that stuff. Okay, and also Franny's chat is sometimes just too good to miss. That's that's fine. Uh, like this, I, I was mean, very yeah. entertained by. Um, mm. I. Really, really enjoy the modesty debates. Oh, that um, vintage, yeah. well, vintage. I love them and I hate them. And see, Alex, uh, you missed you missed the OG spandex gate of fall 2017. I'm really bummed too. To yeah, other. I it wish I had seen it. See, everybody, if you ask most people, this is actually a common thing. If you ask around, most people think that Franny's chat started because of spandex gate on Franny's talk oh, to each no. other, which isn't true. But there was a huge thing fall of our fresh me and Clem's freshman year on Franny's talk to each other about spandex, and that's why. Like I mean, that, that was like the OG spandex gate. But anyway, sorry, I interrupted you. Right, right, right. So, so yeah. So like, I'll, I'll, I do it. I like overheard at Franciscan. I like Franny's mm. chat, and I use those as excuses to feed my addiction. That's and right. so, um, 
that's Fair. that's why that's why I joined and why I'm still there. My life would probably be significantly better if I got rid of it, <laughs> Mr. Harold. Um, but yeah, so. yeah, I think that's a fair reason. Yeah, I'm pretty similar, honestly. I, <laughs> I wouldn't go. So I <laughs> fair. <laughs> it's a not terrible reason. What I, YouTube channel did you join Facebook for? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, BritishNerds.com. No, I. Yeah, I. I think at this point, it's mainly just for sort of business purposes. So like. The student government has a, a Facebook page. That's what they all say. Uh, yeah, and it's and I'm coming around no, to thinking yeah. it's a bad excuse. Uh, I I I do write articles like Alex was saying. I write articles and share them, and it's nice to have a platform to do that. Um, because I, it's funny that Instagram has actually made Instagram has thrown Facebook into a much more positive light. That now actually Facebook, in my opinion, is significantly better because it actually does still have like some veneer of an intellectual dimension. But I think. Um, yeah, for me, it's mainly those two things as like a couple of organizations that I'm involved my, my account is associated with and then sharing things. But I recently following the election with the whole parlor thing, I definitely did and still am strongly considering maybe just making the jump and probably not even joining parlor and just, well, just, just getting rid of it. Cause I, I do think, I think it's worth looking at how we in our lives can take small steps to begin, uh, begin making these things not control us. Um, and so here's we can the, step away from them. Here's the main problem with Parler, though, right? So Parler doesn't have an algorithm. Are you on Parler, Alex? By the no. Way? Okay. So, yeah. So the problem with Parler is that it doesn't have an algorithm that uh, organizes your feed, which at first you might think, okay, well, that's Wait, good. How, how do you not have an algorithm? They just show it in chronological order of who you follow. So oh, posts, okay. yeah. So the way, like what that means is, that just so, sounds like a bad experience. Oh, it's it's awful. It's terrible. So it, you know, if you follow, let's say, it's to avoid censorship, so a, presumably. Yeah, it's avoid. Yeah. So I'm I'm over the past year, I've become a really big Twitter guy. I'm on Twitter all like every day, and I follow a lot of different people. And I love I I actually. So even though a lot of people complain about how toxic Twitter is, and it definitely is, I actually like Twitter better than Facebook because Twitter is the way I get a lot of news. Twitter is an excellent news source. It's not an excellent social media platform, but Twitter gives you exactly what is going on in the world right now. From And, and, and I follow like the New York Times. I follow the Daily Wire, CNN, um, Huffington Post, you know, all, all that kind of stuff. And it gives you a very, you can get a very liberal and conservative perspective immediately about every current news issue. Sorry, that was my reason why I'm on Twitter. But What's really awful about Parler is that I follow, you know, I don't know, like maybe 12, 15 people on Parler. And I only see like, so I follow, for example, Young Americans for Freedom. And I see like 10 of their articles in a row mm. before I'll see anybody else's because they just happen to post 10 times before anybody that I follow posted next. Yeah. Which see, is a, it's a terrible business. I mean, it's a terrible model. So it just favors the groups that post a ton. Yeah, right. So on Parler, it's like in order to get seen... You have to post a billion times. Whereas in Twitter, if you get a whole bunch of likes, a whole bunch of retweets, those tweets will show up in your feed more because people like them. And also Twitter has that trending feature where you go, you can see what's trending right now. Parler doesn't have that. So, I mean, ultimately I think Parler is, unless they get an algorithm, they're kind of doomed to failure because that's just not how people are used to experiencing social media. That seems like most of these startups is just, it's just a worse experience. Yeah. Well, and it's also, hard to justify going to a worse experience on the grounds of like free speech or some other. But, like but the thing topic. is, it also gives you a lot of respect for these platforms like Facebook and Twitter, 
which admittedly they censor free speech. They're not ideal, but they have mastered the art of giving people exactly what they want to see in their feed. Yeah. Right. Like, so, Oh, so, totally. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, one of the excellent things about all these platforms is that when you go to your feed, you know, you're going to see the kind of things that you want to see, which is great. <laughs> I mean, you want to see them, but on parlor, you just know, I mean, I haven't gone on it that much, but it's like, it would take me a very, very long time to get used to that kind of platform. Yeah, I don't see any of those really dethroning. Um, yeah, Facebook, Instagram, any of them. Do you guys? Know I, I don't, I don't see the... it dethroning any of them. But I mean, I'm here. Here's the real. I don't know. I'm off of Facebook. I mean, I have the Cal and Alex show Twitter, which I've continuously been thinking about just deleting. Um, I follow it. Not on Instagram. As do I. Not in any of it. I follow you uh, on Twitter, actually. You do? Yeah. Like, we are mutual I followers. Don't know. It, the, <laughs> here's the big question. And, and this is one my, my dad's actually posted to me a lot of times. It's like, okay, well, what do you want to do? Do you want to move to the middle of nowhere and just be like completely self-sufficient and have a farm and not be a part of society? Because you can do that. You know, like at the end of Brave New World, when spoiler alert, Bernard and um, what's the other guy's name? They they spoiler they're alert, like spoiler alert, spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. They just get exiled to an island, and it's like, well, you don't want to be a part of our Brave New World? Just go to an island. You're okay, that's be all not the alone. main spoiler. Yeah, and it's not a main spoiler, but uh, they just get exiled to an island, and it's just like, okay, well, if you don't want to be a part of society, if you want, if you don't want to do Twitter and Facebook and our social media giants, and you don't want to be a part of this, sure. Go to the middle of nowhere. Like, okay. And then also, do you not want to have a computer? Like, because this is definitely built on the backs of child right. labor. Mm. And like, this is built on the backs of evil. I'm like, I'm pointing direct in my MacBook. Like there are suicide nets around like Apple product manufacturing places in China. Uh, Fox, Foxconn in um, in the South part in Guangzhou, um, like all sorts of other stuff. It's like, okay, well, what do you want to do? Do you want to go to the middle of nowhere and be a, a subsistence farmer, be exited from the system, not vote? and Or are you going to participate in this system, with which does, like, if you want to be heard, well, you're going to be on Facebook, you're going to be on Twitter, yeah. you're going to be using technology. Like, but where just, do you strike that balance as a Catholic? Because I have no idea. I'll that just goes my back to the whole mask thing where it's like, well, yeah, I mean, if you're going to participate in society, you have to wear a mask, you have to get a... I mean, who knows? Maybe next year you'll have to get a COVID vaccine, all this stuff. But the thing is that nobody, what just bothers me so much is that nobody is against the culture, right? Nobody is nobody is uh, refusing to comply with these regulations. Nobody's saying, okay, let's all just move to Parler and then actually do it, right? Who cares if Parler sucks, right? I mean, sorry, it doesn't suck, but who cares if it's not as interesting as Twitter? It probably Facebook? sucks. Yeah, it kind of does. It kind of does, yeah. <laughs> but anyway, but but like I mean you're right, but only because people won't actually move and and you know stand as actually rebellious to society. Great. And- so you guys are deleting your Facebooks. <laughs> <laughs> I've I've actually seriously considered it. I mean, Facebook actually have you did you have a Facebook in the past? I've never had one. Okay, because the thing is that Facebook actually makes it very very difficult for you to delete it. Yeah. And also, I wonder why. Yeah, I <laughs> well, also, with it, remember that Instagram debate we had? Yeah. I, I said that afterward I'd delete my Instagram, but the thing is that I actually forgot my Instagram password. And the other thing is that on the Instagram, I think it's the... Um, nice excuse. I know, right? 
I think it's the, funny. It's, You've been posting stories like <laughs> days, oh, and days and days and days. <laughs> fact check false. No, no if you, I, I, I think this whole podcast will be fact checked. Don't worry. Don't worry. For yeah. a week. So. I'm not sure if it's the app or the browser, but one of the two you actually are unable to delete your Instagram on. You have to do it on. It's Reddit. probably the browser because the browser model of Instagram is horrendous. Yeah. It is they bad. very, very clearly want you to be on right. your phone to do Instagram. Considering yeah. that I forgot my password, I haven't been on there since the spring. So yeah. But um, yeah, so all these platforms, it's actually very difficult to delete your account. So I don't think I would actually delete my account. I think I just, you know how they have the option to quote unquote disable it. I just disable it and then forget about it. You see, because I think you could make the argument just to give some pushback. I think you, for someone like Nash or Alex or me, actually any of the three of us in the room, actually, because uh, I think we're all pretty unusual in the fact that we, when it comes to Facebook, I think we all, I'm sure, have our weaknesses when it, and I find these things as enticing as the next person. But I think we're all pretty <laughs> measured in the sense that we, we don't spend hours and hours on social media. Uh, and we've all taken steps to limit their use in our lives. I do the the counter argument to what you're saying, you know, just delete it would be, well, actually, maybe my having Facebook is doing more good than harm at this point. Because if I'm yeah. if I'm really just using it to share articles that are going to influence people positively, and to occasionally make a good tr- contribution to some you know online debate, then maybe I should keep it. Um, and because I, I think so, could you say? It depends. It depends if you think that the mere fact that you have the account is a sort of participating in the system, um, but it might be possible to um, have retain the account without going along with all of the, the harmful side effects. Does an occasional oh, yeah. good post justify buttressing a very evil system? That, that well, to me but, is but the But the thing question. is, the system is... Well, one of the reasons why the system is so I, I, I evil... Think I think it's very much just evil because what, well, listen, what you're listen, doing listen. is you're taking human society, which is personal and which is real and physical, and you're making it cyberspace, like, real. Well, okay, like, all well, these yeah, conversations but, that end up happening on Facebook, and, and I think, okay, Teresa Bova's the... You know, she's saying it all in the comments, is like, hey, guys... This whole apparatus that's been built for us is actually harming us, right? right? And right. an occasional like good post or good thing doesn't justify using it in general because you're you're including yourself in a system that's basically telling people that real conversation, like stuff that we're having right here, you know, really is meant to be virtual and now, it's not meant to be, yeah. yeah, it's meant to be some Facebook post that you like make a reply and all that type of stuff. Like yeah, I, I feel like we're, just le- to- we're losing real human society right, right. for fake human society that is paid and there are people making billions of dollars on us assenting right. to their fake human society. Yeah. Now j- right. just to defend Teresa Bova for a minute. I mean, she did like, as you're saying, she did say that, I mean, that, that is kind of her point, right? Her point is not that, I mean, guys don't talk about these issues. I mean, I think she said specifically, this is the, this kind of article is meant to be discussed by friends in person who stumble upon it or who pick it up. And want to read the gauntlet, not because they saw it on social media and then make vitriolic Facebook comments about it. Um, So, I I mean, I think she's right about that. But also one thing I wanted to bring up is that um, I was really at the tail end of this. I wasn't part of the glory days, but Clem had started this thing called Legio Christi back in the day um, when I was in high school. It was a, how do you describe it? Uh, It's like an online forum. An online forum for a bunch of It's a pro board. I think you've used pro boards. Sorry, what again? A pro board. 
I don't know what that is. Okay. Pro board? Yeah. It's just a kind of online forum. Okay. Anyway, yeah. So I David William invited me when he moved to Steubenville from England back in 2016, 15? Yeah, probably 15. When was the when was the heyday of Legio Christi? When was, like what year? Uh like 13, 14, 15. Yeah. So I I I was like the very maybe I caught the tail end of the heyday, maybe I missed it, but um, I mean, when I was active on, so I was active on Legio Christi like 2015, 2016, and it was definitely still, I mean, it, people still were on it. I mean, Clem was on it. That's actually, that's, I actually met a lot of, I met several people who go to Franciscan right now on Legio Christi. So I, I actually met Lucy Sammons that way. I met hmm. Sydney Kane that way. It's kind of bizarre. I met, who else did I meet that way? Luke Orsay was on those pro boards. Anyway, but the point is, the reason why I bring up the Legio Christi thing is because Legio Christi was a group of how many at its peak? Like a couple hundred? Yeah. Like a couple hundred um, people across the world, you know, anywhere from the English-speaking world. So America, UK, Canada, uh, Australia. Wasn't there an Australian? Yep. Yeah. And... The thing that was so awesome about those pro boards is that it wasn't just a place of vitriolic hate, a place where people just would make fun of each other, you know, not actually have rational discussion, but it was a place where you could debate contentious topics and do so in a way that was charitable to others. So the, the whole reason why I bring it up is because I think one of the reasons why all these social media platforms are so deformed and so bad is because what will happen is that you'll get all these people that are really bad. And then the good people who actually want to have good discussions, they just want to leave because they see all the bad stuff that's going on. Hmm. But if they just, so I guess one of my arguments for staying on is that if you make sort of mini communities within these larger social media platforms, so like Franny's chat within the larger Facebook, and I know Franny, Franny's chat is so far from perfect. It's kind of a stupid example to bring up, but still like (laughs) it's a group of Catholics that are at a Catholic university that are seeking the truth. And yeah, they disagree on things, but like I think Franny's chat believe it or not, does a better job on Facebook than a lot of other, as Facebook as a whole does, mm. right? And so, I don't know, I'm just rambling at this point. But sure. my, whole, my whole point is that I think good people that want to use social media in an honest way to like keep up with family members that are far apart, with friends, to debate real things on a internet level with people that they don't see in person, that's totally possible. It's just that, yeah, the majority of people on those platforms aren't going to do that. So, that doesn't mean mm. that good people can't. So how do you, how do, like, I suppose my, my question would be like, as far as whatever that was, Legio Christi or something like that. Um, like, what was the difference? Like, how how was that cultivated in a way that didn't just evolve into Facebook? Because like, was it just that everybody came in with the expectation? Because I think that in a huge sense, like people have toxic conversations on Facebook because they expect to have toxic conversations on Facebook. No, that I agree with that so much. Like, is yeah. like, is that just mm-hmm. what didn't happen with Legio Christie? Is like people just were like, oh well, that's not what we do here. Or did you? Or like, was there some sort of like, how did that happen in a way that wasn't completely evil, like horrendous? Yeah, I think I. That's a good question. I think the expectations is a key part of it. Uh, that if a yeah, it depends on what people are on because people are. Why are people on Facebook? I think fundamentally they're on Facebook to feel good, right? That's why I go onto my Facebook app every day. So if that's the reason right. I go right. onto the app every day, then that reason, that motivation, that general impression is going to carry over into the comments, even if it's a serious discussion. I'm there to feel good, which means I'm there 
to feel good when I crush my opponent in an argument. It's there when I, yeah, I feel good no, to so see the people I agree with to have my confirmation bias. Whereas I think something like a pro board is, uh, is you're not there to feel good. You're there to actually uh, put in effort to engage in conversation, in dialogue. So you'd get, I mean, I would write, you know, thousands of words every week in different like debates that we would carry out online where it's long written posts. The fact, the simple, some of the simple mechanisms of the the thing that, you know, you can't just press the enter key and it posts. You actually have to, you know, hit create post and then you have to write your thing, then, create, you know, post it. Um, so I think it's, yeah, I think those are, I think both, yeah. both are different kind of ethos underlying it and also different mechanisms that help it um, serve a different purpose. I'm, I'm going to shift us a bit. But I mean, we can go back to social media, but I wanted to ask, as I have both of you here, your first semester in student government as president yeah. and vice president. Oh, boy. Uh, <laughs> it's, been, it's been a pretty so, easy semester. Nate, right? like, you have come on the podcast two times before, one yeah, time before. Two times before. Okay. Yeah. And, and I had a podcast with you um, right before, let me see, a month before the semester started, like in I'm, July. I'm pretty sure we had we had one podcast right after the election. Then we had one podcast at the end of the summer. Okay, Clem, I had you on right before the election. Correct. Which I think the this Alex, is definitely what made you win. Exactly. The Kellen <laughs> and Alex show was decisive. I think it was the decisive. You guys won by a landslide too. Congratulations for that. Seriously, well, thank you. yeah, that was great. How has this semester been for you guys, student government? Um, I, I know not not a lot has been going on, um, but yeah, I mean, I think, I think it definitely is. We've made the most of it, you know. I think it's been very different than what we anticipated. <laughs> One thing that I find very funny looking back on is we. So we met. So after we won, Clem was actually in Steubenville for a very. How long were you? I mean, you were in Steubenville for almost all the most summer, of the right? summer. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Wow. So we had a lot of meetings with university administrators over the summer after we won, and. I remember so clearly the the whole flavor of the conversations we had before like June and July or well yeah before the end of July end of June and beginning of July it was all about sort of the assumption was we're not going to have any restrictions so what are mm. we going to do and we had all these plans and then almost all of them were completely destroyed so for example just a very minor one is the coffee bar right I remember, I mean, Clem, you can back me up on this. Uh, we had a meeting <laughs> with Mr. Schaefer back in, what was it, like May? Yeah. Where he said, he's like, oh, I don't see any reason why we won't have the coffee bar up and ready to go by August in the calf. Right. And I don't know if you guys have been to the calf, but there's no coffee bar. <laughs> no, and the reason why is now there's no indoor calf either. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which makes but it harder. No, no, no. You the lying thing is, politicians. <laughs> well, no, but the thing is, we actually, so we met with him. You campaign promises yeah. you didn't deliver on. I no, can't no, no, say we, my expectations were high, but I was still disappointed. <laughs> no, 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 We met with him in October, so a couple of weeks ago. And he, so now he's confirming again, who knows, because back in May, whatever. But we actually have two people. I think it's John Silly's one of them who have agreed to be baristas at this coffee bar John that was promised. Is it John Silly? Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's in training, I think. Yeah. So wow. this is a coffee bar that was promised to us. handsome barista if I ever saw one. <laughs> anyway, it's a coffee bar that was promised to us by Schaefer in August that obviously this semester wasn't, it didn't work out. And, he, and you know, to Mr. Schaefer's credit, right? He's not the one that sets regulations. He was very in favor of this coffee bar. It's, According to him, which again, who knows what's going to happen, but it's going to be a real coffee bar starting next semester. So in the spring, we'll have a functioning 
coffee bar. It's like a limited Cupertino's menu in the have, cafeteria. Have you been to the CAF much this semester? Zero times. Okay, so two things. I would like to complain. The, the <laughs> pizza, apparently the guy who was doing the pizza left. So we had like a series of just terrible lasagnas instead of p- pizza there was at the pizza bar. The number of times Absurd, you got like eggplant. Right? The second thing. No, wait, Alex, why do you go to the Wait, 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 wait. Sorry, okay. What? The second thing, there was the... You know <laughs> Alex, where, have you ever tried the salad bar? Okay, wait, 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 wait. Uh, no. Uh, my rotundity is how I... <laughs> Manifest my status in the proletariat. You know the bar doesn't always I am alcohol, the most right, protund social. You are the head of hospitality. I am the head. Yes, and I am the roundness of hospitality. <laughs> the best uh, hospitality okay, this side of the Atlantic. Do you know where they would do like the specialty, like the specialty stuff, where they would do steak salads? Appear uh, on sometimes yeah, 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 yeah. You know that type of. I know what you're talking about right. They in did the not have that. They did not have that the entire semester. Wait, Clem, have you been okay, to the wait, cap this semester? So nope. Alex, have why you did you and also yeah I still have a meal plan. Pay. Why would oh, you so waste you nine bucks? I do. Sorry, I, sorry, one of the most I live twenty minutes parts. away. Like okay. making lunch and dinner for myself is like that's a lot. Great point. It would, here's the thing: it would be a ton of gas because I'd have to drive there and then drive back in between every meal. And so yes, I do have a meal plan. No, Alex. Is I just think uh, it's Alex about like it's, like it's like what it's like nine dollars for a meal. I just think that's a bit of a rip. Yeah, I know. Oh, I think you're right. Well, the thing that bothers me the most is like. You know, at this point, they, they've given up on even trying to call it like a, an all-you-can-eat like thing. Yes, you know, yeah. where like you, you you get the two boxes, and then you get like dirty looks if you if you even like <laughs> yeah. third. And like, do you um? I'm oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, go for it. Do you um? Do you have like a whoops? Do you have like a kitchen or anything at Catholic Family Land? Or I do. It's it's not the greatest kitchen you've ever seen. It's all stuff from like the 70s. Um, because is there a microwave. There is a microwave. When were microwaves invented? I don't know. The microwave is probably about 30 years old instead of 50 years old. But, Can I uh, just... Also, just yeah. on the point of like what you were saying about only getting two portions. Like, Can we just accept that it is a societal stigma against the young male appetite? Because no restaurant gives portions that cater to a young college male. That's like, totally false. No, I, 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 I will. I That's because you're like a lightweight. Dude, I mean, I every, also <laughs> usually no, don't. So it, it depends on what restaurant you're talking about. Okay, the only exception I can think of is actually Bennigan's. Where you Bennigan's actually get very Have nice. you been to... I would argue. So when I went to in, Europe, in Steubenville, or this sounds like the sort of, this sounds like the sort of thing that Clem experienced in London. Shake, in like, that's like some what, some filled. Californian burger shack. It is. It's phenomenal. Um, California burger shack. Uh, you're the most Brit I've ever. Uh, hold on, hold on, wait, hey, guys, 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 burger is actually phenomenal. Do not. I made the mistake. I made the mistake of assuming this was a table of four men with real appetites. Hold on, I take it back. Listen, listen. When I went to Europe, one guy with an ascended appetite. How much product do you have in your hair? right now that's all i'm gonna ask hold on hold on okay so first of all i would say when i went to europe i was shocked at the little amount of food you get at restaurants if you actually go if you actually go to almost any restaurant in america you get way more food or sorry for me you get more food i agree that european restaurants are awful but like have you ever been to texas roadhouse no. Okay. Well, so really? Wow. That's, that's in Steubenville. That's, that's in Steubenville. Yeah, I, Have you ever been? To I've like, heard good things. Okay. So so, so yeah, at Texas Roadhouse, right? You will get more. F- I'm well. I, well. Okay. So if you're me, 
you get more food that you can eat in one sitting with almost any actual entree you'll get. Hmm. So you have to get a box, it's right? Really just yeah. a matter of willpower. Or if you, it was in Texas. It was in Texas. Wrote us like thirty dollars a plate. Yeah, it's expensive. Well, no, it's like not bad. it's no. like it's like fifteen, fifteen to twenty dollars yeah, a plate. Okay. It's it's really but, um, pretty close to Bennigan's. Yeah, I mean, if you go to Robinson or Pittsburgh, any any actual restaurant you'll go to, so not like some you know hole in the wall. Yeah, who knows what? Yeah, like an actual restaurant. Most places you'll go to will give you more food than you can eat. If you're me, if you're Alex, you get two plates. Alex, it's a starter. You're here. You're I strongly. I'm. I'm not convinced. I think there is one or two exceptions. This has to be done. I. I don't give us anymore. I think the vast majority of restaurants is catering towards like middle aged to elderly people. And you get like a standard portion. You're, you're stuck They're in trying England. to get. You're stuck in England. Yeah, England, that's, it's definitely, wait, that's where I'm coming from. So I accept that. But even that in, America, in America, there is an expectation that you fork out money on the appetizers and the desserts. So they deliberately yeah. don't give you enough that's food true. on your main course, which I think is like that's just not acceptable. Yeah, a lot of restaurants will like the the hostess or the waiter or whatever will be like, "Oh, are you getting dessert?" Like they'll they'll try to right get you to have more stuff. But I I still disagree with you though. I still think most restaurants in America. Are have you seen the pub portions? Excessively. That's not a restaurant. That's well, the pub at Franciscan. Calm down. They. I mean, it's in America. It's a food facility. You get like six. I, I, I'm not going to complain. I've said, <laughs> I said we shouldn't complain about podcasts. I'm not going to complain about podcasts, but just give me more fries. Okay? <laughs> this also, wait, no, no, no. no, 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 no I have not gotten pub this whole semester because of the, the like the app thing and like you have to wait 30 minutes or something stupid like yeah, that. It's, it's yeah, it's just absurd. Wait, no, like, Club, I, think we, I think we it's, actually are in a unique position to complain about Parkhurst because we've done more for Parkhurst than any student government <laughs> has in the past five years. And that's not my words. That's Lee's words, who is the head of Parkhurst. He said that to us. What have you done really? for so, Parkhurst? What? Shout what out. have you done for Parker? We made them promotional videos. We've done surveys for them. We've you know helped wow. them out. All sorts of things. Found them new staff for the. Found coffee? them new staff. Yeah, for the baristas. Ah, that John Sully. There you go. You know, Lee said at Parker's, he's like, you know, other student governments have said they've wanted to do stuff for us and they never deliver, but we actually have. That's that again. I'm I'm just quoting Lee. That's what he said. Well done. So guys. we are in well unique done. position to actually have constructive critique about Parkhurst because we're the ones that are helping them. Yep. So I, continue to critique them, please. Well, <laughs> <laughs> moving on. <laughs> Parkers does a good job. There hey, are sometimes. By, uh, by the way, cheers to you guys as uh, student government. You guys have done a, a good job, especially in difficult yeah, circumstances. And uh, it's been fun seeing uh, all my buddies run the university. I can always Thanks, drink Alex. to myself. <laughs> cheers to that. Indeed. Well, I will say, I appreciate the toast. I do think. We, um, oh good, this is a moment where I can uh, speak things behind Nature's back as he steps out. But I do think, um, I think it's been, a, it's not been a terrible semester and I think we've, we have done, gotten some stuff done, but I think maybe the biggest disappointment of this semester for me has been just seeing, I came into student government with high hopes and a great vision and anything that we haven't achieved, I think is not for want of trying. Um, so it's not like we made promises and then didn't pull, you know, deliver. Well, I mean, in some cases it might be that, and I think most of them we will deliver in the spring, but, but it might, but it's not that we like made promises and then didn't try to act on them. It's just that I have been incredibly saddened and frustrating to see the, the levels of the Franciscan bureaucracy that it is so hard to make anything happen as a, even if you have some position in student government that 
yeah, the, the number of hoops you have to jump through, the number of different people you need to speak to. You speak to one person, they tell you to speak to another person. Trying to organize a simple event is a nightmare. So that's been, for me, a big frustration this semester is that there's a lot of things that I would love to see happen at Franciscan. And there's a lot of openness on a surface level. There's a lot of talk, um, but there's not a whole lot of desire to actually shake things up and make things move. Um, so that's been, it's been disappointing. You know, we, we talked back in the day about Veritas, about our anti-white noise policy. Like yeah. we're not, we're not just going to be another white noise thing at Franciscan. Like we're going to shake things up. And to you guys' credit, I think you guys are continuing that, that anti-white noise. I think this article, to, you know, that happened to, uh, yesterday, because I, I think it's really important for a radical Catholic campus like us that we're trying to be to not just be white noise, not just to fade into the background of just like, Oh, we're a conservative Catholic college, but like really to try and challenge people in different ways. Yeah. Masks, um, community, uh, debates, uh, all sorts yeah. of different events. Like what? Okay. And I want to hear too about what you guys have been doing with the patents. Uh, that was a whole thing this semester. Um, liturgy, like, Mm. Yeah. Well, How can I have you been pushing a yeah. radical Catholic? Can I ask a question then? Before we get to that, I want to ask Alex what you think from a student's perspective who's not in student government. Do you see? I mean, you are involved in student clubs and student um, athletics. What's as it from an outside perspective? I mean, obviously, your friends who have people in student government. <laughs> but like, what's your perspective sure. on? Do you think it's even something that's like known on campus or? recognize or is it just something that like the average student couldn't care less about because i think there's an argument for the latter and, and i think it's important that you we don't like have an inflated student, opinion you mean ourselves. student government like activity and stuff yeah. like that mm -hmm. i think that it is as is the case with real life government i think it's the sort of thing that you care a lot about in the election and then you kind of just assume that they're going to do their job right and so unless you're actually running a club you don't really pay that much attention mm. i know yeah. that like I think that particularly a lot of things that student government does or does not do, you kind of just like attribute to like this, like idea of quote unquote, father Dave. Mm -hmm. He was like, Oh wow. Father Dave is so great. He's doing these things. Yeah. Or like father Dave stinks. He's doing these things. <laughs> right. Very few people think that father Dave stinks, but like, I don't like this idea. Sure. It must just be like, it must be the, uh, the administration, which has the name father Dave. Yes. And right. so like, I, you know, and like, Obviously I was friends with you guys, you know, before, before the election and haven't talked with you a ton about student government. It hasn't been the sort of thing that has been on the forefront of my mind. I've, mm. you know, seen this stuff on social media. And I think mm. that some of the stuff you guys have done on social media has been great, yeah. but I can say that like, at least from a personal perspective, it does not been the sort of thing that I've like thought really hard about at least partially because it's sometimes hard to discern what stuff is student government, mm. yeah. what stuff is like. David Schmeising, which sure. stuff Student is, life, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, Father Dave, which stuff is actually Father right. Dave. And that, and that's, yeah. that's what I think is one of the biggest things about like actually, um, it's one of the hardest parts about actually evaluating students yeah. for doing student life is you mm -hmm. don't really, it's, it's really hard to tell who's doing what. Sure. And frankly, like I'm trying to think of thing, like even like campaign promises that were made like three months ago and I'm having a really hard time <laughs> yeah, right. remembering. Much more than three months uh, ago, actually. Espresso it's, machine. 
That's all you need to know. I do remember the espresso machine, like which is definitely not a coffee bar. But I, 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 but... Just, I talked about that in this podcast, so I think we can move on. <laughs> no, but, well, well, one thing I think that we Classic. we really wanted to do is we wanted to make it more visible to a larger amount of students. And I think so. We found a minor victory in the fact that we had the largest turnout of any election ever, and right. it was online. But at the same time, I I think. Well, I don't want to speak for Clem, but maybe part of the reason why he's asking is because, like, we didn't just want to end it at the election, right? We just didn't want it to be like, okay, we got the highest turnout of any election ever. We also want to know, okay, now do students still see what we're doing? At right, least? Like, right. Do you even, point. are you even, like, aware of the stuff, the kind of things that we're doing this semester or not really? And, like, I see stuff on Facebook fairly frequently. I'll be honest, like... <laughs> As I said, like I'm kind of on Franny's chat to see the debates, and so when I see a student government oh, yeah, post honest, on yeah. Franny's chat, I'm like, eh, well, <laughs> I don't really need that. Partially because I live off campus, you know, I live about 20 minutes away in Bloomingdale, and so it's it's the sort of thing where it's like usually it's the sort of event that I wouldn't really take part of take part in anyways, whether that's right or wrong. It's kind of a is not besides the point, but like, yeah, that's just it is what it is, and so. You know, I see that stuff like and I think most right. students do, okay. um, but I but I I also think that generally you get um, students who are like more reliant on student government who take it like they like either. I think that as students go higher in uh, at Franciscan, like they become freshmen and then they think that like student government is like absolutely crucial to like because like that's yeah. like the voice of the people. <laughs> And then I think by this by your senior year, you either care a lot about it, which is like you guys and like you want to make a difference, or you go, well, Franciscan is Franciscan. Like yeah. this is my experience. This is sure. my house. It's like yeah, it's like um, I actually can't think of a good metaphor. But like no, I, yeah, I know. No, it's like freshman. Yeah. You're like I have four years here. It better be good. And then like it just tapers off as you get like two senior well, years. Well, 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 well actually, like, I, think I care less and that, less about the you well, know, real. Well, Franciscan. not only that, but like you realize that yeah. like whether it's good or bad is actually my problem. Like yeah. it's not really student government. It's just like either yeah. I have friends or I don't. Either I reach out to my friends or I don't. Either I eat the food I, that I enjoy or I don't. Yeah. And like student government, like it would be nice for a coffee it's bar. Just an it would. It would nice. Yeah. It would be nice to have a lot of things. But like my biggest concern about student government is I just hope you guys give the Franciscan fatal team a bunch of funds in this. <laughs> and like, That's you, know, you know, they've, they've been and, pretty good to us in the past. And like, you know, I, it's, it's not that crucial to me one way or the other, but like, that's right. the biggest thing that I care about. Yeah. And I, and I really think that student government is the kind of thing that like, I think by nature, it does have to operate behind the scenes in a certain sense, because our biggest thing is giving money to student clubs. And that's just not the kind of thing that most students care about. Because right. even if you're in a club, you're like, okay, as long as my club is functioning, I don't care how much money we get, you know? So I think in a certain sense to sort of claim that student government is bigger than it is, is kind of a, it's kind of silly, right? Cause like, I mean, the reason why we exist is to oversee student extracurricular activities. Right. So like, I mean, we don't really have power over whether or not you get dorm visitation. I right. mean, we can talk to the head of student life. We can talk to the president and say, Hey, you know, we've heard that a lot of students want dorm visitation. So stop making it so that only the people that can live in those dorms can go in those dorms. But at the end of the day, we don't really have that much power. So right. I think, it, yeah. So I, I, I mean, that's I, been off the whole semester, right? Like you can't right, visit. Right. They, they brought mm -hmm. it back at least like all, partially. All of us are off. Yeah. Campus. Well, they brought it like last, all of us are it was off last campus, week, right? right? And last they, couple of weeks. Yeah. They yeah. Again, and, yeah. And that's the other thing is wow. like, as far as like funds for your clubs, like usually 
Like, it's not like, oh my gosh, I'm so glad for the student government that they gave our club these funds. It's it's usually more of an attitude of like, oh, well, our club needed the funds. They deserve right, the funds. Right. And like, why wouldn't they give them to us? And then exactly. if you don't give them, it's like, what a horrendous student. Yeah. What a horrendous hmm. Stugo. Like, I just think we, this is We deserve so thousands yeah. of dollars for the Veritas Society. Why wouldn't they give it? <laughs> right, right, yeah. right. Like, like look, at all, look at what we're going to use it for. Like, why? why and I think, I think our purpose, <laughs> our like purpose so in advocating for <laughs> transparency so was sort of to say like, we want we want students to know that we exist and we want students to know what we do. And, and also, I mean, I think it is very fair to say that like we have the ear of the administration, right? Right. So when I email, I, so when I've emailed or texted or called father Dave, he's never not responded to me. Right. So like, that's, I mean, I think that's decently significant. I mean, right? that's, like, the, cool. that's actually the same for me. I've right. just never done any of those things to father. But you know, so like, I think that's, it's a non-insignificant thing that the administration listens to student government as the voice of the students. Right. But at the same time, it's like, you can't pretend like it's more than it is. I mean, at the end of the day, student government just like gives money to clubs and that's no. it. Like right. we don't really have any power besides the power to say like Veritas society gets X amount of money. $10,000 like, or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So okay, like, could I, could I switch the conversation a bit? But yeah, go ahead. <laughs> how has, I could put it more generally. How has this semester been? Okay, we, we had COVID. <laughs> We're here. How's life? What do you we, mean we, we dealt had the semester? COVID. Didn't we okay, have this okay, conversation? Okay, so we, we sat on that. Okay. I was sitting in, wh whose height was it? Kellen's height. And I got the email. That was illegal. Everyone <laughs> needs to go. Every, we're not having in-person classes. Go home, basically. And I went I home. that. And I went home and started working a bit and did what I had to do, whatever. Summertime came and then I was like, okay, well, I'm going to come back to Franciscan because they're offering me free credits. Credits. I'm back here. How have we handled it? Uh, I, I think we've handled it. Um, I, I don't know. What you guys think, but I, I think we've handled it extremely well, and and I, I understand there's some drawbacks and stuff, who's, but who's comparatively we? to like, oh, uh, the the university, we've okay. had classes, we've had in person classes. I understand the tail end of the semester, we're not having classes, uh, not having finals in person, but up until this point, wait, it's been wait, really good. Wait, Alex, can I just say yes. that I totally destroyed your bet. Where you bet me that we wouldn't you, have classes okay. in person? Explain that to us, please. Okay, so Alex Dunley bet me before the semester began. Well, wait, no, wait. Wasn't this in the very associates? You and Clem. Yeah, you bet that <laughs> and we and Carrie and Carrie. Yeah, yeah. You bet that. Wait, wait. I didn't know Carrie was in this too. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so you bet all three of us that you that we would not have any in person classes this semester with, with three to one odds. And I was now wrong. the thing is, Alex. I, I don't know why on earth you would have bet against me and Clem when you know that we've been talking to Father Dave and Mr. Schmeezing all summer. I was but anyway. Sure. But I mean, if you guys would have lost, you would owe me $95. Sure. I paid, I paid like, out 35 I was very confident considering the fact that we've been meeting with administra university right. administrators all summer. So like, fair, fair it, you, you've like I was on the one side, you have the people that have actually listened to the administration. You don't understand. I am terrible at betting. So if you want. <laughs> right, well, now I understand congrats. that. But anyway, anyway, but the point so, is. So bet against me again. The point, the, is, the point is that Alex bet us that there wouldn't be any in-person classes all semester. Alex, yep. please make that bet again next Which semester. I really like the way that, that bet and I won $15 off of that bet so I'm very happy about Why that. Why didn't you go more? That's the real question. Well, didn't you have a limit? I, I 
fifty dollars. I think. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, really? So, okay. Yeah. So that was about as high as you could go. Yeah. I, well, I think also, I bet at forty-five total. Yeah. yeah, but anyway, so yeah, the point was that you. I, I mean, sorry, Alex, but that was a very <laughs> that was not a that was not a very well thought out bet. Like most of my bets. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. But um, yeah. Anyway, also I should um. I do have that assignment that I have to turn in by midnight. Can, so I can we turn go. it at nine? Is that too late? It's thirty minutes. Ooh, I I I actually should probably go now. I'm sorry. But now? Yeah. Can we do forty five. Mm. Okay. I'll take five Get more minutes. Get the heck out. Five more minutes. No, I'm just kidding. Okay, five more minutes. Five more minutes. Explain also, your case. Yes. Nick Lockin said he'd be coming by, so we uh we should. So he up. can fill the spot that Anthony. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Tell him to come by. Legit. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Final five minutes. What are we gonna discuss? Uh, Nash, how's your? Let's discuss Nash. Okay, so the, the thing with my semester is that I set up my senior Cheers. year kind of poorly. Cheers. You don't have anything. No. He's well, got to drive. No, yeah. don't drink anymore. That's enough. That's enough. Um. You need to just be able to. Well, Alex. No, 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 stop, stop, stop. Alex, 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 Alex. No, 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 no. You need to be able to. That's okay. Carl Red would be. Cheers. Do <laughs> you see this, by the way? Anyway, um, yeah, I did see that. My semester was very pl- poorly planned it's out. Such an, it, we're on because a podcast, what I ended up doing man. is I sorry. ended up having my senior year being six. Oh no, sorry, five classes plus a thesis. It's related senior to senior fall, which is now, and then four classes in senior spring. Well, I mean, actually, I don't know. Maybe that's nice, but. It's a little bit unfortunate right now because I'm dealing with the fact that I have five finals plus a thesis and a present thesis presentation. Damn. And next semester I only have four classes, so that's going to be nice. But and no thesis. Yeah. So I've had to deal with you COVID regulations, five classes, a thesis, student, student government. government. Yeah. You know, and obviously having a fiance is a full time job too. So <laughs> it's been it's been here, a rough. It has honestly been a very rough semester. For By the me. way, congrats. Oh, thank Seriously. you. Yeah. yeah. But it's been, I mean, it's been a very fun semester and a very awesome semester, but also a very busy and rough semester as well. Right. But I, I'm really looking forward to next semester because at most I'll be taking four classes, which is going to be really nice. So I've found that taking six class, six classes and four classes are a lot more similar than you think. Really? Yeah. I mean, in terms of. <laughs> thanks for making, oh, thanks no. for making me happy about the spring, <laughs> Alex. Now, I, I don't know why. But do you think it's you just like it's because I don't do work for any of them? <laughs> well, do you think it's like also no, partially because no, like knows you like I, like I, I don't do work for sincerely classes. hope that next semester is not going to be as even close to as busy as doing five semesters in a double season. It, it's weird. There's a weird thing where there's like a limit to how much you can work, but if you try and like reduce that, you end up working almost the same amount. And some okay. It, it's just weird. Let me put it that way. Mm-hmm. Well, it's like, like that idea that the, the, the work fills up the amount of time you give it. So if you have four yeah, classes, like the work will take up. You think you have up. more free time and stuff, but like you end I up spending say, the amount of work that you... Yeah, yeah, what I will say is that my junior year, so last year, was the first year of college that I got all A's every semester. Like every class I took nice. junior year, I got all A's. And I think that's partially because I took the fewest credits of any year my junior year. So like... Freshman and sophomore year, I got mostly A's, but I took more credits, more classes. And then junior year, I took the fewest credits and I got only A's. So like this semester, I'm not, I mean, hopefully I'll get all A's. I don't know. But like, I definitely think next semester will undoubtedly be lighter because I mean, well, I mean, just to put it in this perspective, right? So like I'm taking four in-person classes, one course by arrangement, 
and then one double thesis. So it's like, that's a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, next semester, I'm only going to be taking four classes. So it's like, I can just spend all my time on that instead of the additional two things I have, you know? I don't know. I mean, you're the one that's actually been through it. I haven't been through it, so. No, I I don't know how they gave me a degree, but they did. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, okay. Well, I'm, I'm going to have to head out, but it's yeah, been a thanks pleasure. Yeah, thanks for coming on. It's been an honor. Uh, is Nick coming? Yeah. Did, I think, did I think he's, he's not. He's coming, he's coming okay. in, the, in a little bit. Nash, are, are you guys good to continue till nine? Uh, I would like to probably wrap up like 45, but that's okay. Okay. Yeah. Good. See you, Nash. Nash, thanks for coming. Yeah. Yeah. For those of you who are not well, wonderful to listening it. live, which is everybody, that's another 15 minutes. That's another 15 minutes. We're breaking okay. so many podcasts right now. We've hit a this lot of This room is painted really nicely, and everybody's like, ah, I'll just imagine a pretty, wa- a pretty wall. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Something I wanted to bring in, which I didn't bring in. So the thing that we don't like about Nash. <laughs> yeah, right. Universalism. Ah, um, yes. I've been reading David Bentley Hart. And um, probably not sober enough to give his good arguments, but um, is it really a circle if you just like lift up the pencil and go back to the start? (laughs) I guess (laughs) he brings some good points. Okay, I'll I'll bring a Dostoevsky point. Watch out. (laughs) I mean, I'm watching out, but like, there's a H word hard and it's not hot. Yeah, there's something. There's something to be said about not being so sure as to your interpretation. Like, hell is a really, it's comprehensible in some ways. It's very incomprehensible in other ways. The fact that finite beings such such as us could merit an eternal infinite punishment and um, be in an eternity of hell is a really terrifying and somewhat incomprehensible prospect um i mean so david bentley hart uses that as an argument against an eternal hell basically finite beings cannot merit an infinite punishment hmm. is the the small argument meaning we always have some type of circumstances like contingencies that um affect our decisions so how could any of those de- decisions merit an infinite punishment or an mm. eternal punishment? Yeah. And and I'm not using that as a proof text to say, well, therefore universalism, but it does put into question like the easiness with which we say, yeah, souls are in hell and people go to hell and hell's a real thing. It's like how do we comprehend it? I I think, you know, yeah, how, that would be the question. How is it comprehensible? A eternal hell for a humanity that is limited and finite and makes fallible decisions. I would first of all like to plug that we had this discussion last podcast. So you should yeah. go listen to <laughs> yeah. that discussion. Yeah, definitely listen to that Because that was, I was saying a lot of things that I didn't really know about, but we have Clement Harold here and he knows Significantly more than that. I do. No, that is not true. Clem, you 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 take it away, and I'll I'll <laughs> oh, if I have any holes to fill, oh, I'll see what I can do. So the question is, how do you comprehend hell with well, an all good God? Yeah. Well, and how do Basically. how do finite beings essentially merit, like merit an infinite punch. thing? Like, how yeah. are we capable of doing any infi- infinite action? Yeah. I mean, I think that second. I just think that question is an easier one because I think you would say by offending 
an all good God, we, we merit an infinite punishment. Um, and in fact, we continually offend God. In choosing what does hell mean, I think it means for the soul a definitive rejection of God. And that rejection is expressed continuously for all time. And so we remain in hell precisely because we choose to remain in hell because uh, we have set our mind against God and we continually choose to sin against him even in hell. And so for that reason, um, it never ends. Personally, I think the, so I, I think that I find that in some sense is more uh, intelligible. I think the first question of, well, how, because I, I, I think the, the, there's a strong temptation to annihilationism. Like why would God not in his mercy simply annihilate souls that reject him? Right. And I've heard different responses to this. And I think, you know, I think a traditional kind of Thomistic response is, well, God just can't do that in his nature because we have immortal souls. And so it'd be wrong for him to annihilate us. And I, that to me is a kind of cop out and it's putting a limit on God. Uh, I, to me, it seems more, more proper to say that there must be a sense, this is just speculative theology on my part, but it seems there must be a sense in which the souls in hell, in some sense, want to be there. And I think a great, hmm. a great illustration of this is found in, in The Last Battle by C.S. Lewis with the, the dwarves who are at this great feast, but they think they're in this musty old barn just covered by straw and horse dung. And they... But they don't want to be, you know, someone said, hey, do you want, do you want, do you want me to kill you right now? They wouldn't say yes. You know, they're, they're in a sense content where they are in that they would rather cling on to this sad reality that they have than see it go. And it seems to me that that must, could be wrong, but it seems to me that there, perhaps at least there is some sense in which Remaining in hell is the best place for those souls. But I very much agree that it is a very difficult issue. And I think probably the single hardest issue uh, for any Christian. And I think, and I don't say that lightly. I think there's other issues like the Eucharist that I find very difficult to comprehend. But I think this, the issue of hell, these questions of soteriology are probably the hardest. And they're the issues on which the church is probably the most confused right now. But that doesn't and really that, answer that your question. That seems to be the sticking point. Is so for the universalists, the fact that it's incomprehensible is for them a de demonstration that it can exist. This is where I'll criticize David Bentley Hart and others: is that it's incomprehensible that God would condemn people to an eternity of hell seems to them to be a demonstration of the fact that people can't go there, hmm. and. For however difficult it is to understand, the okay, so I, I have both sides. I have the side of me who wants to agree with them and, and say, like, look, as bad as humanity is, the salvation of Christ can be applied to all men and they can receive it. And it can even be slight. So that's that's why I brought up the example of the the lady that only did one good thing in her life, which was give an onion to a beggar, mm. right? And the angel comes and, and uses that onion to lift her out of hell. And she says, uh, 
when, when other souls start to grab upon her and say, you know, and trying to, to be lifted out of hell with her, she says, no, this is my onion. And she falls back into hell. There's this tendency to make salvation like our thing. Like it's, it's my thing. It's the church's thing. It's, 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 you know, um, salvation isn't a communal thing. It's, it's my thing. And the difficulty is, is to say like, okay, well, it's our thing. It's the, it's the thing of the elect. Like the elect are the ones who are saved. But then there's the mass of the damned. And they definitely are damned. And it's like, how do you reconcile that with the elect? Like, how could God create a universe in which there's a number of those who are just definitively damned? Hmm. So, so Ivan asked Alyosha and Brothers Karamazov, his younger brother, would you create a universe in which there were a hundred people, ninety-nine of which you would know would uh, unite themselves to you and be perfectly happy and perfectly fulfilled, but there was one soul that would be eternally damned, that would be eternally suffering, that would be in eternal torment. Would you create such a universe? And Alyosha says, "No, I wouldn't." Mm. even for the sake of that one soul. I wouldn't create a universe in which 99 souls were united to me, but one was damned. Like, how do we reconcile? Any See, I would say damnation? yes. I would you would s- say yes. Okay, well, if they- how, about, how about 10 to 90? Mm-hmm. How about 50 to 50? Mm-hmm. How about 1 to 99? Yeah, I think that's a harder one. So I think if, you, if you're saying, I think that... Um, proportionality is a very human thing. It is. Yeah. And it's very hard to know if God sees it that way. Yeah. Uh, But I think, I don't think the fact that some human beings choose to freely reject, um, because like, I mean, it is a premise of our, a tenet of our faith. And we forget this sometimes that everyone who is in hell chose to be there and that they were given a chance to not be there and that they rejected that. And that's a pretty sobering truth. And that truth. could be one of us. It well. could and be I, one of us. It could be well, all of us. It's unlikely to be you without you knowing it. So if it's one of us, then it's beca- it's through fault of our own. And in that sense, like, yeah, it could be me because I know that I've maybe at times merited hell through my decisions. But it's not like it catches you by surprise from behind and you suddenly end up in hell. Um, I know you had something. And Alex, I, I would even, I would even like you know, responds to that idea like 99 to one and then 90 to 10 and then 50 to 50 and 10 to 10 to 90. Like, would you create a, would you rather have a world in which 100 people loved you necessarily in which they had no choice in the matter? Or like it was, you know, essentially guaranteed or would you, or a world in which you had one person that loved you of their own free will and of their own choice um, with 99 who chose not to, like with a with a true, genuine free love. Does, does that not make the one's choice for you contingent on the 99's rejection of you? This is the question that Ivan asked is basically, well, look, aren't you making the content of heaven the criticism of hell? That's the devil's um, in Ivan's dream is like, look, if you had a hallelujah, you know, in, in heaven that was completely of its own with no criticism, then it would be just a given in some way, right? Like everyone chose heaven. But if you had a criticism, meaning people who chose hell, 
then the hallelujah would have some meaning. Meaning the meaning is supplied by the alternative rather than by the fulfillment of the best opportunity, right? So the 99 who chose hell are contingent. They're, they're, the positive merit of their choosing heaven is contingent on the one choosing hell. If there wasn't one at least choosing hell, it didn't seem to be an opportunity really. It, it seemed to be like, oh, everyone chooses heaven. So it's like completely fixed. Do you get what I'm saying in this? So, so if no one chooses hell, does heaven have any positive content? Sure. Yeah, why, why wouldn't it? Okay, so if everyone chooses heaven, then uh, hell would still be a real possibility, but everyone just chose heaven. Yeah. So, okay. Hell, oh, hell is, a, is a real possibility. Jerry possi- Hope. No, the, the, the possi- keep in mind, like, as, as I mentioned a couple of times last podcast, like, the possibility of hell is the possibility of a lack. Of a, of people being less than they were meant to be, mm. like it's like it's not like this thing that like you go to heaven if you don't level up to hell, like that's that's not the sort of thing that we're talking about here. And so like hell doesn't receive its or heaven doesn't receive its meaning from hell in that like well it's good that you made it to heaven because you could have gone to hell. Rather, it's hell re- gets its meaning from heaven because like it's tragic you got to hell because you could have attained heaven yeah you know aquinas talks in his summa i think i mentioned this several times last time i'll mention it again um it doesn't necessarily mean i'm interpreting it correctly though i will say (laughs) um but that like we are we are absolutely and completely incapable of virtue and salvation by ourselves and so you know the idea that like the idea that by going to hell, we like give heaven meaning. That's it's not like it's not like this thing that we've added to ourselves. It's us surrendering it. And so like heaven has a positive reality because every person is fully who they are meant to be in heaven. Whereas when we go to hell, it's tragic because we aren't who we were supposed to be. Mm-hmm. We we've we've failed to become the person we were not we were capable of, but like we refused what the, what grace was capable of making us. And I, I think to say that like this idea that heaven is only valuable because you could have gone to hell is like looking at it backwards. Right. Yeah. I, but I, I don't know if you guys would have any comments on that. <laughs> no, I think that's well said. Yeah. Hell is ultimately a deprivation. Um, and I think, yeah, I think it's, It's important to give pushback on the views of people like Bentley Hart for a couple of reasons. One is that I think ultimately the world and life, I think, is not. I think we need a healthy understanding of hell in order to understand justice and mercy. Because for the woman starving to death, you know bruised and naked in Auschwitz for her to hold the belief, not just to hope that all people are safe, but her, for her to, to think that everyone, no matter what they do is guaranteed to achieve infinite bliss with God in heaven. I think there's something not just mistaken about that, but quite perverse. Hmm. And the reality is that, that that is not 
that is not the God we worship. He, we do not worship a God where our actions are inconsequential and where our character is meaningless. And so I think that perspective that damnation is something we can just do away with is is dangerous and is, I think, is quite insulting to the millions of souls throughout history who have been oppressed and who have experienced harm at the hands of other people. Because I think they believed, they trust in God's mercy, they pray for God's mercy, but they also believe that God's justice will be carried out and that those who persistently reject God's mercy will face his justice. And the second thing, of course, I think an even more obvious point is just the words of our Lord. Like if you, you say, oh, everything's open to interpretation. It's like, okay, sure, but you can only take that so far. I mean, you know, two plus two equals four is only open to so much interpretation. The idea that everyone goes to heaven, I said this in the debate, I think it makes a mockery of divine revelation. And I think it means that, and, and this is even stronger that this is, I said that of the dare we hope position. And may, maybe I was using hyperbole. Also just pressed a button. You're good. You're good. Okay. But uh, <laughs> um, but it's certainly, I would say, of the universalist position um, that the apocatastasis of origin, that idea that everything's going to be reconciled, I think that makes Jesus out to be an absolute lunatic. And not just a lunatic, but an evil lunatic who went around talking incessantly about hellfire so that millions of souls for the next 2,000 years could be, you know, obsessed with this, scared by this, that children would, not, you know, lose sleep at night because they're scared of this reality, which he went on and on and on about when he had no reason to because ultimately everyone would be saved. And so I think the challenge of a true faith and intellectually rigorous faith and a trusting faith is to say, this is what we have been told and we have to somehow grapple with this reality and we have to somehow use our faith and reason to say that this is concordant with mm. God's mercy. And we shouldn't put our own presumptions, our own biases and prejudices on the word of God, but actually we should take it as written and apply our mind, conform our mind to the word of God rather than the other way around. And believe in Christ and try and live a Christian life. Amen. You know, and uh, yeah, pray for our salvation. Because it's not guaranteed. It's not, um, yeah, I mean, it's uh, something contingent on our cooperation with Christ's grace in in the cross. And uh, damn, I hope we're all saved. <laughs> I really do. All of us, me, you, Clem, uh, Athanasius. I hope we're all saved because then we could spend an eternity talking about some epic topics Amen. on the Kellen and Alex Amen. Show. This has been uh, a good start. This has been a good start on the road to eternity. Alex, any final thoughts? I, any final, any truly final thoughts would probably start us on another topic, but I'm <laughs> <laughs> very, very grateful. Uh, we Clint, had a thanks for joining us. Yeah, uh, my pleasure. Thank it's you been, both. it's been really fun. I have been looking forward to this all week and it really has delivered. I think we've had a really, a really awesome uh, discussion. We started with the debate. We went to social media. We ended up with back the, at the debate. And masks. And, and masks. And masks. So uh, it's been really fun. Um, Thanks so much. It's been a good time. 
Yeah. Yeah. Glad thank to hear you, it. Alex. This yeah. has been a great I, time. I'm excited to listen to this again. I, I always enjoy like listening to these podcasts again, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. going through them again. Just like to hear the sound of um, your own voice. <laughs> I, I do. I really do. It's it's a fatal flaw. But yeah, it's it's crazy that this semester is coming to an end already, you know, before Thanksgiving, like it is. But um it, it really seems like a kind of end. Like mm. this seems like an end of the semester podcast yeah. to me. It feels like I'm, yeah, yeah. D- done it because a lot of people are leaving. You know, it definitely caught like caught me by surprise. Like there was a point I think last week where somebody went, "We have ten days of school left," it's and really I went, weird. "No, that's ridiculous." And mm. then they like showed it, and I was like, "Oh my yeah. gosh!" Like we, particularly if you're not coming back from Thanksgiving, you have three days of school left. Wow, right? Um, and you know, most people are staying back after Thanksgiving. Most people are staying back. There's a lot of professors who just ended their stuff at Thanksgiving because they, yeah, had every because they assumed that like we probably wouldn't even be here by yeah. Thanksgiving. Uh, it's actually kind of frightening how potentially right they were, even though it, they, it looked like they would be wrong. And yeah, that's that's what's truly wild to me is that we've rode, we've ridden the entire roller coaster. And, you know, here we are just about, just about, just about the end of it. And so, mm. yeah. Glad we could do this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. Um, Dang, this is super fun. I'm glad we did this. So, Clem, thanks for joining us. Uh, Athanasius postmortem, thanks for joining us. <laughs> and uh, thanks Alex, for leaving thanks early. For no, I'm kidding. And that's gonna wrap it us. Wrap it up for us, Kellen and Alex show. And uh, we'll be back hopefully soon. There's a UFC fight coming up soon, so I think we're gonna do a UFC uh, <laughs> fight companion with me and Kellen coming up soon. But uh, that's going to wrap it up for us. And uh, hopefully we can do some more podcasts, especially over this break. um, Because we're all going to be around. Kellen's going to be around. I'm going to be around. And uh, yeah, that's pretty much all for us. Uh, Peace out. If there's a Christian religion, then it's Catholicism or nothing. What politics actually is, art of people living together, orienting one another towards virtue. And the person was like, dude, flirting is the abortion of love. This is the most worthy, most exciting, most adventurous. Drop a nuke uh, on the Franciscan bubble. The Kellen and Alex Show. God could have stopped it. If Permissive wanted. will. That's right. <laughs> I don't know why God would allow something like that to go through, but then again, God allows. God allows you to go to... on and on. <laughs> Fair <laughs> enough. <laughs> Truth, okay. <laughs>